1: down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
2: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit to get 20, 20, to 20, get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15,
3: 15, just 15 bucks a month. So,
4: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash
3: switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound only on pbs
2: hi there team no encore here before we go on with this week's show we feel compelled to show solidarity with both the current uprising in the united states of america and with the cause of our black brothers and sisters everywhere the events that have unfolded since the unconscionable murder of george floyd demand a proactive response a reaffirming of our core beliefs and a commitment to do more
3: music that great unifying force is at the center of our weekly discourse and our true joy in life at its inclusive best, its mingling of cultures creates a kind of spiritual harmony that truly represents humanity at its greatest. What's more, music has always been hugely influenced by black culture. So many all-time classics and modern masterpieces stem directly from it, are owed a huge debt.
4: So, it would be remiss of us and downright hypocritical not to use our platform at such a vital time to speak out against racism in all its forms, at home and abroad, Now Encore is a platform not just for creativity, but fairness, shared love and equality. Seeing what is happening to black men and women in the United States turns our stomachs. As a music podcast, we don't really do silence, least of all on this issue. Everyone here wishes to voice their support for the Black Lives Matter
3: movement and protests on both sides of the Atlantic. We'll be donating our Patreon earnings from the month of May to MASI. movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. We'll also be matching and donating that figure on our side. Thank you for supporting the show and allowing us to do that. If you're of a mind to do more, there's a link in the description guiding you towards the likes of the US National Bail Fund, Black Pride Ireland and more. You'll also find details of any socially distant protests
5: and
4: relevant petitions.
2: Needless to say, whenever and however you use your voice to help nurture real change, we'll be standing right there with you. Dave, Craig,
4: Sonic Architect,
3: Adam,
2: Dahi, Colm, and all the No Encore family. Dave and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 216 of the No Encore Music Podcast. On this episode, we will hear from Merley of Rusengano family fame as he releases his new single, as well as Max Zanga from Tebby Rex, who also have a new single of their own landing next week. Both were generous with their time and insight in a week that has been extremely difficult for millions of people the world over. Frankly, Craig and I, recognising that we are the very poster boys of straight, white, middle-class male privilege, felt that it would be unhelpful if we rambled on about racism by ourselves, and so we reached out to black Irish creatives who, unfortunately, are painfully constantly acquainted with abusive and reductive experiences that Craig and I quite simply have never had to, and will never have to face. It is our hope to be educated by these conversations. Ultimately, it is important that we feel uncomfortable and recognise why. But we also want to enjoy them too. Both Merley and Max are two incredibly sound, friendly, witty, intelligent, empathetic guys, and we're very lucky to be able to call on them this week, whether it's to discuss intensely personal important issues, or just to chat about the music that they're making. And so, in the first hour of this week's episode, you will hear what they have to say, but don't stop there. As I say, both are responsive for making excellent music, so if you haven't checked out Murly's solo work and his work with Rusangana family and Tebby Rex, who are currently enjoying deserved attention, make it your mission to do so. I would also suggest heading on to Twitter and looking up Kelly, aka Gadget and the Cloud, and her rolling thread of Black Irish musicians and the related playlist thereof that she has put together. Hour two of No Encore this week will see us go through the week's news from the highly necessary to the utterly ridiculous, and trust me, there is some ridiculous stuff, before we close out with our top five best album closers. I appreciate that it could be a bit of a jarring episode this week, but in terms of important issues that we feel that we need to talk about, and also some levity that I hope we'll, we can all enjoy. Uh, no album review, because being brutally honest, the Lady Gaga album is a five at best. And feels now, hold on, hold on Dave, <laughs> it's
4: important that we set the record straight on this. I I strongly feel with another day's listening, it might have got to a six in my book. It's very forgettable. Okay.
2: Right. Yeah. I just figured spending 20 minutes on it this week. Just, I don't know. It just felt like, like that album came out on the Friday and like, God, like there's, there's a weird thing about this where it's like major pop release was pushed back because of like coronavirus and stuff. And then it comes out last Friday and then the world just goes into pure turmoil. And it's like, I feel... Wow. I feel like Gaga's
4: <laughs> timing has been really bad this year because as you say, like the, the kind of the big you know comeback single which was like hit the dance floor, get out there happened just as lockdown came in and everyone quickly forgot about it, and now the album. So I think it's spare thought for Lady Gaga, maybe. Maybe yeah, later, a few weeks from now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, uh, as we noted at the start of the show, uh, we will be donating our Patreon income from the month of May to MASI, and we will also be matching and donating on that on our side as well. It's Patreon.com/noencore if you want to support the show. There is zero pressure to do so. Craig, how are you, man? You good? Before we press on,
4: yeah, I'm I'm uh, better than the news, I guess, as they say. Uh, I'm okay. It's been a it's been a week, hasn't it? It's like it's kind of that thing of when does Yellowstone erupt? When do the, the aliens land? Like, you know, is it a Tuesday? What have you got? Twenty twenty? What have you got? Give me all you got. In the words of Vincent Hanna, um, yeah, surreal. How are you holding up?
2: I'm good, man. Yeah. I saw, um, I saw a tweet that was like, some news story was, Underwater City, frozen in time emerges. And what? someone was like, not now, Underwater City, frozen in time. <laughs> I saw another tweet that was like, you know, at this stage, I just wouldn't be surprised if dinosaurs came back. And it's like, yeah, it's been a crazy fucking week. We're going to talk about it. But yeah. as we said, listen, I mean, we are not experts at all. We are not like, you know, we, we do our very best with this podcast. We are aware that Two White Guys hosting a podcast is, is incredibly middle class. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm just going to stop yapping now for a while And I'm going to throw to our two interviews First up, you're going to hear Max Anger from Tebby Rex And afterwards, you're going to hear Merley from Roos Family And Craig and I will catch you with the news in about an hour's time
3: Yikes so many lights, too so many clicks Baby, don't click Stay with your click Right, right Write your song you ain't the one Tell me I'm wrong Tell me you're on, on night. Lace me free. Been in the dirt, doing the dirt. Loving the streets, man. Say what I mean, give me the peas. I'm tryna eat. Fat cat, fat pussy, yeet. Keep my name in your mouth.
2: Glad to be joined once again on No Encore by a man who I, for whatever reason, still not fully sure, appear to be sworn enemies with. We're 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 pausing the feud for just one, one time again. It is a course the
3: feud for
0: good cause. <laughs>
2: <Nice>. <laughs> Those dulcet tones, of course, belong to Max Zanga of Rex. How are you, sir? How are you this week?
3: Hey, what's up, guys? Just let me clarify that there is no feud with Craig. I've always loved Craig and I want to stand Of course, dude. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's it's only with Dave, exclusively the feud is only with Dave Craig, I don't want you to get caught in the crossfires of this
4: I appreciate that, and I, I'd imagine many listeners can understand feuding with Dave um. of course
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm doing I'm in much better spirits uh, today, funnily enough I had to get tested for COVID-19 just earlier today Um right. yeah, uh, the test is ve- not not as bad as people make it out to be mind you, but Besides my nose hole being violated, I'm i I'm, I'm good. I'm going well. How are you guys?
2: I'm okay. Yeah, I mean I haven't been tested for COVID nineteen, but we'll see. I, I've generally managed to to dodge that for now. I, like I hope it'll it'll be the case. But I guess, like you know, pivoting from that to what has been a, a week in which I don't see how anybody could not see what is going on in the world. It's it's everywhere. How has it been? Um, like, what kind of week have you had specifically, just from your own point of view, your perspective?
3: You know, I think. In all the years I have been on Twitter, I have never once really thought about blocking anybody. I've never thought about like deactivating my account. Not really, but I think this week I truly, truly just wanted to like run away from it all. Um, which, you know, I think especially the way Twitter is, has been very fucked up in the past. I think it's a testimony to like this the level in which it is this week. I don't even necessarily people saying horrible stuff, because horrible stuff is you know, whatever. But it's just seen so much. Like, I've seen more acts of racism. heard about more acts of racism in this past week than I have in, like, maybe two years, you know? For yeah. it to be condensed in a week, it's been really, really draining. I've been, like, no fun to be around, I would say. Because I'm just... It, yeah, it's just kind of hard. I found that, like, I would spend maybe, like, two or three hours off social media uh, on Saturday or something, for example. And I had, like, such a nice time. Or... The other day I saw someone make a joke on Twitter. And I'm like, this is the first joke I've seen on this site in days. This is, a, I, I laugh so much. I'm like, oh my God, remember when this site was about fucking jokes? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and g- I'm generally more light stuff. So it's been, a, yeah, I, I won't lie. I don't usually have less stuff I like just get to me, but it's been a very, very tough week.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been exhausting, I think, for an awful lot of people. But I mean, to be kind yep. of direct, like, like as directly affected as you are, I mean, it's it's something I can't fathom I mean it's 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 chief chiefly the reason that Craig and I have asked you onto the show is because we obviously want to talk about this but we frankly don't know how I mean like it's it's an issue that is so worldwide so so pressing and so real that it forces you to look at yourself and be like okay well look listen I'm simply not educated enough I'm just not and I know this and I have to deal with that I have to see what I can do about that but I think my perspective on it is not, like not, just, it's not that it's not valid, but it's not really helpful yeah. at the moment. So I, I think even as well, like given that you're in an Irish music scene, which has never been more, I guess, diverse, if that's even the fair word to use, there has been conversation about the Irish music scene, about people in it and about what it means. You know, I mean, have you noticed even a shift in that or is this something that we need to kind of, stop labeling in that way? Or is there any kind of general kind of sense of perspective we all need to work towards?
3: You know, I I will say as well, um, the Irish music scene is so small that all the conversations on Twitter to a certain degree is also making me a little bit nervous for artists, you know? Because I think nothing untrue has been said. Like, I think people have been fairly honest and and, and at the very least candid in their experiences. But, like, I'm just so worried that some, like, stupid booker small my bookers going to be like, oh, no, don't book that person. They were, like, kicking up a stick, you know? So I feel, especially if you're, like, a smaller artist or, like, a more, like, up-and-coming artist, like, the Far Collective have been stepping on people's fucking necks, as they should. And I just don't want this to kind of hurt them down the line. But it, it's tough. It's definitely tough in terms of, like, hearing these experiences, because I think I've had it to a certain degree, obviously. I mean, like, my, the best example of it is um, when uh, we were on the Late Late uh, with the blizzards and uh, the, like one of the prevailing comments was, what was that fucking rapping doing there? Uh, why does that guy sound like that? And um, where is he from? Who does he think he is? All this kind of stuff. And I legit just couldn't look at Twitter after we did that performance. Cause it was like, I don't, I can't, I don't want to be slated by a, you know, uh, a bunch of fucking zoomers in like the middle of Ireland or even all across Ireland, you know? So, I think these conversations are so key because you, you don't... You, you see musicians as open-minded and people in the music scene as open-minded uh, for lack of a better word, woke people. But I think a lot of them are lacking what you guys are doing here, which is sort of saying, hey, maybe I should just fucking ask somebody. You know, it's mm. like, maybe I should like... I don't think you you or Craig or even Adam, I don't think any of you are racist or perceive yourselves as racist, but you're like, that doesn't that, make me a fucking authority on being black or those experiences. I think... Is being able to, like, have that ability to have that self-reflection. And it's like, okay, let me see how I move. So if nothing else, these conversations are forcing people to reflect how they move within the Irish music scene and, like, how they respond to Black artists. Because I think, maybe I said this before on the time we were on the show, but I fucking did wonder why, like, you would see the likes of Evans Jr. get the numbers he was getting in terms of streams and stuff. And absolutely not a single, like article or feature written. And not even, like, I don't, like, you'll need to say he's the best musician ever, but it was just completely ignored. And then you see someone much smaller doing, like, a thousand streams and, like, still good music, but again, written about everywhere. I was like, there is, I think there are certain gaps when it comes to reporting and uh, when it comes to Irish music that I feel, you know, are a bit unfair or even just the write-ups. Like, I think there's a simplicity to shit if, you know... If if you if you're black, like you know, if you're doing a song, it's like oh, this is a fun trap song, and ignore levels of it. I've seen people like not really uh they'll like people like let's say give Seventh Obi a surface level reading when there's like there's much more there in terms of depth. But then if you have somebody else like Maliki who deserves, let me stress this deserves all the fucking praise he's getting. It'll be like a real serious dive into it. I just feel like yeah, maybe. Maybe Black artists even if they're getting reviewed, aren't getting the same kind of deep dives, you know. But, I mean, you guys have been in this scene as well. And, like, all three of you have, like, you know, been in, like, worked to music. So, have you noticed anything like that? Have you ever, you know, been in those conversations where, like, you're like, hey, maybe we should do things a different way. We should, like, add X, you know, or whatever.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a consideration and it's one we talk about a lot more than we used to, but I think it is still a, like a classic Irish problem. It's not just the industry, it's, it's like Ireland where we're like, we don't like confronting ourselves. And we kind of have this attitude of like, ah, we're grand. Like, you know, we look at what's been happening in America the last week or so, and you do hear voices of people going, isn't it crazy what's going on over the States? Without recognizing closer to home, we have huge problems with racism. You know, we mightn't have had the history of, you know, the kind of original sins of America in terms of stealing native lands and, you know, having slavery. We didn't have those opportunities because we were, you know, shrouded upon ourselves. But we definitely have issues here. And I think there is... There has been a problem with, I, I think maybe people like myself who are like armchair allies to a certain extent, right? Where it's, you know, uh, it's kind of a cop out where you might be liberal like me and you kind of go, listen, I treat everyone equally. It's not an issue for me. I'm okay yeah, it's not an issue for me, but that's not good enough anymore. It never really was. We need to be proactive. And I think, you know, we were talking there about Twitter being confrontational and a bit of a hellscape at times, but we do, I think, need to confront ourselves more. Do you feel, Daffy, that Irish people kind of (laughs) can convince themselves, like they truly believe it, that the problem isn't really here to the same extent?
3: So I feel for Irish people in this kind of sense, in in this one way, because I, I truly, truly believe that in terms of the totem pole of white people, Irish people are, like, probably the best. This is obviously my biased opinion, me living here my whole life and stuff, but I I, I, I think in terms of if you're looking at the history of, like, what this country was built on and, the I guess, the perceived core beliefs of the country um, and what they've stood for in the past, uh, you would, like, I think you have that kind of, like, there's that passive energy of Irish people are the good whites, you know, and... Um, and I guess being the good whites, whites in comparison to terrible whites isn't good enough. I guess that's yeah. my conclusion to it. It's like, I'll never get up on the platform and be like, Ireland is just as bad as the U.S. It's not like Ireland is just as bad as the U.K. It's not like, do I think it's done so much, so much things so much better than those countries. I think you have to acknowledge that. And I think that's a jumping off for of conversation because it's like, okay, you're better than the U.S., the U.K., how do you stack up against New Zealand? You know, how do you stack up against Canada? How you, like, like, yeah. w- where are you failing in those elements? Because I think even just looking at, let's say, the Irish Constitution, like, I did law in college, and it's like, it's built on the kind of almost ethos of, like, this is a growing, developing, changing document. That's why referendums are, like, much easier to be had here than, let's say, you look at the U.S. So yeah. even if we say, okay, Ireland's okay, there's nothing wrong with saying we need to improve. We have to improve because being okay isn't good enough for people who are suffering. You know, like if a lot of things get normalized where you don't even view it as a major issue until someone brings it up. Brings it up, then it's like there's something. There's something wrong with the status quo here. You know, and of course, I would say it's a racist country. I feel like most countries, if not all countries, are racist countries. You just don't get. To, I don't think anyone gets to give themselves a pat on the back for being in the U.S. and in the conversation like that. Um, you know, because then you're just like, I think you'll stop fighting like very soon. If the U.S. is a bar you have to meet, it's a very fucking easy bar to meet, you know, like you'll stop everything there.
2: So, I mean, to go back on something that was being said earlier on, like in terms of the question you asked about, have we been present for whether it's editorial meetings or circumstances or scenarios in which there may have been an agenda pushed or whatever. Uh, And first of all, I would absolutely add that, yeah, listen, I am absolutely complicit in terms of just my basic existence, really, and not doing enough. And perhaps not being attentive enough. That's true. Um, I mean, I can I speak from, you know, working in Hot Press back in the day or working in Joe uh, and deciding, or even on the show, like, I mean, there's, it's usually like you're dealing with what's out in the release cycle and there's only X amount of stuff to go in. Like I know that Craig and I, when we were in hot, in the Hot Press office, we would sit down in editorial meetings and there'd be two A4 pages already filled out of what's going in as decided by the editor and the commissioning editor. And it's a case of, okay, you guys are doing this, you're interviewing this person, yada yada. It's not that you couldn't pitch, of course you absolutely could but ultimately a lot of it was kind of decided for you which again i mean sounds like a cop-out and i don't mean it to sound that way um you are assigned i think as a journalist a lot of the times you're you're, you can be told you're on this beat you're doing this you have to generate this amount of content and the idea of content generation has changed as well all of which is to say that like there's no perfect kind of methodology i guess i mean like if i had if i won the lottery tomorrow i'd like to think that i'd be running a really cool music magazine knowing that it would never make any money (laughs) and that i wouldn't have any money left (laughs) after a very long time but i don't know i mean like I, i I think, yeah, I mean, like ultimately as as a white male Irish music journalist, I probably should be doing more. Um, that's definitely not something that I would disagree with. I've never thankfully I've never been in a room where there's been a racist presence that I've been aware of. I mean, like I'm sure there's unconscious bias going on without question towards something, whether you realize it, or whether you don't, Uh, I'm happily, I can happily say that I've never had somebody like say, don't feature this person because of what they look like. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist because you know, it clearly does. But I guess what I want to ask is, you know, is the Irish music industry doing enough when it comes to racism? I mean, this is obviously a huge wake up call around the world and people are going to make statements. Obviously, action has to follow. Like, do we have a a racism problem in the Irish music industry? I mean, I know that's a huge fucking question for one person to answer, but again, I guess just from your own kind of experiences, really.
3: So this this is what I'll say. I'll say the Irish music industry has a problem with music it doesn't understand. And a lot of music that black artists make fits into that bracket. So if it's because I think it's very easy to be like, let's take, for example, a Jafaris, right? It's like, for the most part, Jafaris's music is something that is understandable to most of these editors. It's something that they can properly comprehend, you know? It's, um, it's a type of hip-hop that makes sense uh, and is steeped in all types of, like, kind of um, steeped in poetry and culture, but it's not this thing that's, like, essentially very foreign to them. Then if you take any of these drill guys, you know, like, I know for a fact that, I don't know if I... Well, I'm trying to shit here. I assume that a lot of these editors aren't listening to fucking drill, like, or listening to Irish drill. So when it comes to saying, this kid has a million fucking views on YouTube, why is no one written about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a thing of, like, I, even if I give them the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, it's not a racist thing, it's still like, okay, that means there are massive music cultures that you don't understand that are impacting the country, therefore bam, you need people who do understand these music cultures to write about it. So I think if you look at Dean, Dean, yeah, who's really prolific, he's great for like picking stuff that's like big or good that people just seem to be ignoring, which is like, which I find really bizarre. So it's a thing of like, whether whether it's to do specifically with race, which is the worst case scenario, which, um you know, I think is definitely relevant to some editors and it's a factor there, but it's such a large part to do with like, things that are outside of, of what music editors are used to or accustomed to or familiar with, is seen as weird, it's seen as other, it's seen like put it to the side, you know? So if someone comes out with like, like, I think even like, we kind of get away with this a lot. Or I, I think the best example is like, we have a fluctuation of this. So if we do some kind of like, and uh, kind of like pop rap fusion, you know, it's like, it's picked up quite easily. And it's, you know, kind of disseminated and it's understood if we do something that's a little bit like weirder out there or like kinda of different from what's like let's say the norm, it's a lot more slower on the up pick. You know, it's a lot more like um it, it's sometimes like it's even flat out ignored, which is so funny to be in a point where you're like you musician in Ireland where I know what I what music I would need to make to be written about and get articles written about, and then I know what songs are not gonna get written about. Like out out the gate we know. Like when we drop whiteboard at the moment we're like this is not gonna get any articles we're dropping a track next week. We're like, this is going to get articles. Cause we just know that this fits into the kind of the type of hip hop that's being expected in this country, the type of music that's expected for of in this country. This does not, this won't be written about like, listen, like whether or not it's like shite. Like, I think that's a, I think that's also a very fair point. You know, I think I want to talk to my manager about that a lot. He's like, when we, let's say we take Nala, for example, Nala is a music blog about the music essentially he or the team likes, you know, so it, I can never be bitter. If someone doesn't like your song, or thinks it's not good like i think even in our conversations uh personally it's it's, it's never been something that's like ah that's fair it's not a personal attack but if, if 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 like for one though if your are is like it's a as a relatively big size you're getting relatively big numbers if and someone doesn't like your song it it doesn't mean it can be ignored it doesn't make sense like you can't just ignore these real guys because you don't understand it or even if you don't like it Write a review saying this shit, you know, that's like, I think that's a job as a music journalist. I think maybe because Ireland's so small and so insular, people say if they don't like something, they ignore it, which is fucked up. But I also fully believe that if Jeff Fries came out with a song that people didn't like, they would still fucking review it because it fit into this bracket of what they understand. Therefore, it's getting written about. If you do something a little bit more kind of out there, we're talking your seventh you your Lutheran, you're talking like, the uh, Reggie, the Evans Union, you do something a little bit more that's like not even out there in terms of music because it's big in the UK, but it's weird here. It can be flat out ignored, which I find, I, I do find quite bizarre.
4: Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how it's like, if it's not outright racism, it's a more kind of benign, but still kind of troubling thing about people just being like, it's it's an understanding thing. And it's a p- thing, p- thing of people being like stuck in their old ways, for sure. I mean, we've talked on this show before about you know, the debut album from Fontaine's DC, um, getting the critics, like, laddered up and just being like, here's the soundtrack to, you know, Dublin, Young Dublin, this is what the kids need. And, like, obviously, those lads are grand, it's like rock music, blah, blah, blah. But there is something to it in, like, I remember when we reviewed the album, I remember saying to Dave, to me, this doesn't sound like the soundtrack to Young Dublin. This isn't what the kids are listening to, this is what the middle-aged people are listening to, and they expect it to be white guys on stage doing rock music. So, it's it's kind of like the trends have just passed them by to an extent and because they're controlling the industry they're missing out on the actual popular stuff right
3: like i think i think it's so weird The industry wants it wants to be fed stuff that they kind of understand which i think is 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 so 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 true you know what i'm saying so it's um that's how you get the critical reception um and that's how you get that Positive response, and the further we, the further you move away from stuff that they don't understand, the the trickier it is for you, you know. Um, like, <laughs> um, like I I do be tempted sometimes just to be in my room and be like, you know what, I'm gonna write a nice kind of lo-fi hip-hop song about Dublin and get some kind of nice woman on the chorus, and it's gonna be a hit. I'm just like, it's it's gonna be a kind of nice, nicely formed, fabricated hit. Add some fucking guitars. They love that shit. they they, they go hard for that shit. Like, give me some guitars. I love it. I, I like you know, um, so yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky because I'm, I, I am naturally just an optimist as as a person, um, and I do want I do want to like kind of hit that point home because I know that when it comes to talking about black struggles and the black experience, there is the optimistic view, and there's I we call probably the more realistic view. You know, so me being an optimist, I don't even think necessarily people are inherently like. Trying to push this message or like inherently be prejudiced or racist, but there's something in passivity that's just easy. Like passivity is comfortable. It's 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 easy. Like even if you take things like sexism, it's easier not. It's easier to say I don't do sexist things and that's it. I end it there. It's like I don't need to be proactive in in what's going on around me. So it's easy to be like I'm not a racist person. I like hip hop. I think I think Jafaris is great. I think, I think Tebby Rex are great. But the thing is, like, Jafaris is someone who is digestible to the mainstream. I'm not, but the fact that Matt's there, with digest, is digestible to mainstream, like, the fact that, like, I would feel if you take someone else and um, if you take, like, any of the drill guys, if any of the drill guys were, like, tweeting, like, how I did and talking, talking how I do, they'd be seen as, like this kind of perception of dangerous or rough or all that kind of stuff. And then, but since Matt's there, I can basically say whatever the, like to a certain point, I'm benefit off his white privilege. I can say almost whatever I want. And I'm seen as very accessible and safe. You know what I'm saying? Um, even like, even I think two or three weeks ago, there were some arguments about who was, um, and this. I think it's the, the greatest example of it. There's some arguments about like, who, which hip-hop group was the best in Ireland, you know? And I think... And there's a bit of, like, the Far Collective going Anomaly and that back and forth, then the Far Collective and PX. And everyone was clutching their fucking pearls. And everyone was like, oh, this isn't good for the scene, and this is going to lead to violence and danger. And it's just so key to me that it's like, you're consuming this music where people rap on records like this, and it's okay because it's safe and understandable to you. But the minute that goes into... In the minute that escapes in something that you don't understand, as if people start talking in the real world as they do in their raps, you're scared. And that's what it was. People are like, there's going to be violence. There's going to be fucking gang murderings and killings. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like, this is a music you're listening to. Like, if someone's like, I'm the best in their rap and you're like, oh, this is good music. And then they say on Twitter, it's like, no, don't do that. It's that kind of like, that Irish politeness, not Irish kind of passivity, which... For the most part, I don't think it's even, like, a bad thing all the time. I like how Irish people are polite. I think those are, like, good qualities in the society. I think there are elements of it that's good. But it's that kind of fear of stuff you don't understand. Like, the way the Far Collective boys were talking to me sounded like how you would talk at, like, a Nigerian wedding party after, like, two or three beers. It's, like, it's that kind of, like, discourse, that kind of, like, approach to things. But... It's foreign. I think maybe that's it. Maybe maybe we don't wanna put that title on some of the stuff we do and on some of the ways we move because it's like anyone can be Irish, but if you're limiting Irishness to this one thing, then everything outside that is foreign, you know? If it's um if you want well, listen to like songs about race and it's like talking about that experience, that's okay. But if they're angry, if they're pissed off, if it's that kind of like violent thing where they're talking about looting and rioting, it becomes then foreign to you. It's like, oh, protest. It's like the example saying protest, but don't riot and don't kneel and don't do X and don't do Y. It's you want some kind of watered down version of people. I think that's I think that's maybe it. I think that's the best example. I think there are times doing music in Ireland I can feel I can feel the want of a watered down version of some of the like black uh, creatives, or some of even the creatives in general, I can feel the, or even even like to say, fucking women, I can feel sometimes they want a politer, calmer, more, more packaged, more marketable version of this, um, person. I think we've even been in meetings now. I don't want to like give anything away or talk about people, but we've been meetings with labels, or we've been meetings with like, um, fucking or artists who want to collab, artists who are bigger than us, and. The first thing it was, the first note it was, the first person it came to was me. It was like, hey, can you do less of this? Hey, can you not say nigga in this song? Hey, can you X, Y, and Z, this, that, and that? And it's, I think that's the problem because then when you feel pressure to do that, it's what kind of hurts your art. You know what I'm saying? So I'm okay with doing like a kind of raunchy track song and having it not do so well i'll live it's it's cool i'll fall back on men are trash and i'll just fucking coast if i need to you know what i'm saying like i'll fall back on i never get off the bus that recently overtook men are trash shouts out to item on the mixing year oh nice boys congrats um i'll fall back on that but if an artist is like trying and trying to make it i think it's um it's that it's that fear of like wanting to fit into what is expected what is wanted from you especially if you're just trying to come up you know because if if I got told when I started doing music that, hey, this big artist wants to work with you, but it needs to be this packageable, marketable thing, I would have done it, you know? I feel that yeah. pressure is there for a lot of creatives who look like me. And I'm, to be honest, like I'm like the most light example because even me, I got like a lot of what they would call uh, white tendencies, you know? growing up in killerities have affected me a bit too much, you know? Um, but if you're taking people like the Far Collective, who are unapologetically black, Like, they're getting more pushback than I could imagine, you know? And I don't even know what that's like. And they don't have, like, a nice white boy mat standing beside them to make them more palatable. I don't know what that's like. I don't know that kind of fear of, like, um, people not wanting them at events. I remember I tried to book them for an event once and and the pushback was like, oh, someone said, oh, those those guys might be violent, you know? They might get into something. I'm like, I've known these, like, I've known those young dudes since we were, like, fucking kids, since they were, like, young young boys like they're not they're not inherently you know more dangerous or violent than anybody else but it's tough it's tricky you know
2: i guess lastly i I wanted to say that like it's it's not lost on me and i i I presume you're like for you it must be such a like almost a a a manifestation of the record that you put out so you put out the debut record towards the end of last year the young will eat the Uh old it's A record that is, it's got a three-act structure, it's very much kind of, you know, it's commenting on, taking from, and trying to maybe repurpose and, you know, apply a mythological lens and sense of storytelling to the world. And since then, like, Tebby Rex had been on this odyssey, like, you know, that you were supposed to go to set by set west, like, got cancelled, obviously. And, you know, this crazy current moment we find ourselves in in the world. I know that you had hopes to be nominated for the Choice Prize, I know it didn't happen. I mean, there's been all these kind of ups and downs and moments, and I'm just, like, wondering in amongst everything where your head is at as a musician as a creative person who has put out the fucking debut album which and you know you mentioned that you continue to see success from that you know never get off the bus I'm, I'm not going to take any credit for those streams I, you know like you know I, I've
3: done <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> I've done my part <laughs> you get that Dave, Dave, Dave stab of approval it's so rare hey hey me. hey, Pop, hey it, it, was, it, was in, it was in it was
2: in my Spotify most played last year so there you go what can I say yeah <laughs> but no I mean like, I guess even just summing up that because like that's a moment in your life that and I remember talking to you at the time like when the album came out it's such a huge thing I hope that it's it it means as much if not more now to you,
3: you know, and if I can speak on that for a little bit, I think me, Matt, and Adam came together, right, and we delved into this thing that felt very much like let's imagine the worst case scenario of our lives as people, and let's go from that point. Let's uh, let's amplify all our worst tendencies, all our worst rom- romances. Uh, let's let's take that kind of journey and see what it looks like. And I think in terms of like the lyrics i think we some songs are a bit heavy-handed with it some are quite light but then in terms of production and mixing and the the way that adam was able to kind of like i'm gonna, I'm gonna give adam the praise now because i feel like he doesn't get nearly enough fucking praise for what he does but the way he was able to kind of put that together it was something that like i'm so immensely proud of and i think on but the funny thing is i don't think i have ever be in that kind of state of optimism again because now it's like it's not imagining the worst-case scenario. It's living the worst-case scenario. Like, you know, we we were writing all these songs before we went into, like, another big project on, like, happy, lighter stuff. And it feels wrong now. It feels like it's not about me imagining me being in the worst mental space and trying to write from there. It's being in that space, and it's terrible. It's not fun. Like, there are times that even just thinking about that like number one symbol of peace put me in a bad mood for a week to write that shit I cried writing that shit but now it's like that was this imagination and to be in that kind of position now I don't know I don't know what it means as an artist I don't even know what it means for songs to do well like the song we got coming out on Friday like it feels wrong to release that it's already geared up next Friday sorry next week it's already geared up it's already synced and like you know ready to go so it's too late to kind of put the brakes on but at a time like this, I think so much of the fun I find in music and the joy I find in music, it feels a little more hollow. Cause it's not to say what's the point, but it's, is it the time? Is it a time to be doing? that? Is it a time to like try and get people to experience these things? And maybe it is maybe people need escapism, but sometimes, sometimes, especially now, I don't know. I, I I feel I feel guilty. I guess that's it. Maybe it's like it's it's a guilt of the artist right now where people are suffering and I'm trying to sell some escapism it's tough it's tricky Um, I I, I, I want to do well in music uh, you know I want things to get back to normal to a certain extent but it's also like, I got to take the ego out like maybe that's not a thing maybe normal isn't a thing right now that can happen maybe ever again and I have to see from there we were I've written so many songs and like the run-up to like another kind of project and like that's only in the writing stages now like nothing further than that but as a musician, I'm questioning my role. I'm questioning what I should be doing as a black person and, like, how I can I- impact things, you know? Like, even now, I'm questioning... I've been, like, even thinking about, like, should I use the word nigga less? Because I I'm- might I'm be reflecting on Irish radio saying nigger, and people think that's okay and then it just fuels racism and fuels these negative thoughts. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's-, it's-, it's, in-, it's in many ways stressing me out. And I think it's it's hard it's it's hard to be a creative right now i think even you guys can attest to in terms of like work in terms of like gigs in terms of space to, to be creative it's just hard but then in the world and the climate that's that's at, yeah you know, um yeah i don't want to bummies out <laughs> i want not bummies out but you know yeah it's, it's it's a tricky time so we'll see we'll see how it goes
2: well, on that note, man, I think we have to resume our feud. So I'm, I'm disappointed. But you know, oh, really?
3: Like, yeah, like you know, like like oh yeah. this, this
2: is how it is. Like, <laughs> like this is the strange pact that we've made. with Life each other. must go on. Life has to go on. <laughs> Life and feuds will prevail.
3: I, I, I just, that's it, Craig. Listen, I have to stand. I have to
2: stand by my principles, and I, I, I think Daffy respects that. I don't know. Maybe. Do you? Like, are we? <laughs> like,
3: C- can Can I maybe end on a positive note then? Please, uh, yeah, please. <laughs> bes- besides, bes- besides the feud. Back into the thing of being an optimistic person. I think someone doing the right thing isn't something that's applause-worthy, if you get me. Um, not being racist isn't applause-worthy. You shouldn't be racist. But at the same time, I think when the world rewards passivity, when the world rewards you being a bystander to terrible things happening because it, it, it makes life easier on you, I think people choosing not to do so is something I will always appreciate, you know. So if whether it's marching at a protest and us risking COVID-19 off that shit, um, I'll appreciate it. Whether it's like you guys saying we have this platform and there's something you want to talk about. We need to have, we need to amplify the voices of people who can add to, who've experienced it. I will appreciate it. Whether it's, you know, hot press, doing a redacted thing about their versatile interview. I think... We're showing ability to kind of grow and learn that if nothing else gives me some sense of like Faith in people. I have I, all of this all of this is to say I haven't lost faith in Irish people I haven't lost faith in Irish creators. I haven't lost faith in Irish music I still believe in it wholeheartedly. I still believe in Us and what we're doing and what people around us are doing. I think if nothing else Yeah, I want I want to say that I still believe in, in us awesome man
2: thank you so so much for talking to us really really appreciate it
3: no problem see you thanks
5: man Anonymous tree, listening to NAS, though the inspiration was free. I paid a price and the look a pass supply gave us. It was a nice 3 We've been refugees like left and Prize. Open my mouth, started four times like Pharrell's beat. So I just kept
2: Delighted to be joined stuff, on No Encore see, by Merley, a man who needs no life, introduction, but we'll so give funny. him one anyway. You of course know him as part of Rissangano family, choice music prize winners in 2017. A man who has been intensely prolific in his own right ever since then. The Intangibles album dropped last year. There's a brand new single out now as of this podcast dropping it's called till the wheels fall off and all proceeds from sales of the track will go to m-a-s-i the movement of asylum seekers in ireland it's an incredible song from the first few seconds and it's a song that you wrote a few months ago but felt uh, felt compelled to share now can i ask you why that was specifically
5: yeah uh why i wrote it or why i'm putting it out
2: now i guess both really i mean like i think one kind of feeds into the other i suppose
5: yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, so I wrote this back in February, um, where there was I suppose, like, I'm a huge soccer fan. Like, uh, that's, that's what I wanted to do before music. So, um, uh, I watch football a lot. And then earlier this year, just like it's been happening for the last few years, or maybe since football existed or whatever, um, there was a case in Portugal in the Primeira Liga where, um, a footballer, uh was abused, was racially abused, like throughout the match, like incessant, right? And at some point uh he scored and it just got worse. So he couldn't take it anymore and decided to walk off the pitch. And just watching it um as his teammates were trying to like hold him back, you know, keep him. They were like, no, don't leave, you know, you should stay. Um watching the whole incident, it, it just like it hit you in a way that I'm like 20 20, like, how come, like, why is this still happening, you know? Um, and I was actually really saddened by it because I'm like, this is one incident where one person actually took a decision to, you know what, I can't do this anymore, I'm out of here, right? But it's one of many, 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 like some of them are reported, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and I was just watching it and I was like, imagine me, me on the football pitch. And in the stadium with, with thousands, tens of thousands of people. And then you can hear people abusing you. <laughs> and this is being directed at you. But not, not for any other reason that they would abuse anybody else, right? But for the skin, the color of your skin. um, And then you can't do anything about it. And everyone just expects you to continue with your job. Like, it's not happening. And how long can you do that for? Like, how many more games can you play and take that? You know, and just a lot of things went through my head and I was like, I don't know, like I, people have been speaking up about this for years. Um, what am I going to do? You know, um, and it just kind of reminded me of a few things, some personal stuff myself. And um, so as I usually do <laughs> when I have things going through my head, I just kind of go back to what I suppose what I do best now is to write, write music. Um, so that's that's how the song came about and then um suppose with everything happening right now with the George Floyd situation in the us and the protest and what it's doing to a lot of black people all around the world right now because this is this is just bringing back old wounds and stuff you know things that people have tried to suppress over over the years are now coming to the surface again and um and for myself personally as well. And and I'm becoming more outspoken than I've ever been on social social media ever before. Because um, maybe it seems like maybe this time people are ready to hear you for once. Um, so I kind of feel like, I mean, this song is, it's not just a song that kind of touches on the subject, but it's, uh, it's almost like a soundtrack to the times we're in for me. Um, and if if it's that for me, I feel like maybe you'll be that for someone else as well. Even if it's just one person or a few other people out there, it's time to, to kind of give them something to listen to.
2: Yeah, I mean, and not to diminish the track in any way, but I mean, the first thing that hit me when I heard it was, this sounds amazing. This is really upbeat. It's engaging. It's enjoyable to hear. The lyrical yeah. content, of course, as you say, is so stark and different, but it's that juxtaposition, that duality of this kind of almost summary song with intensely serious issues uh, which I have to presume was completely deliberate by design I mean what exactly are you trying to kind of get across there in that I guess delivery system
5: yeah so that that was definitely the goal is to um so I, I, I actually saw it as a summer tune as well um but at the same time it's like because like I think sometimes people might think just because you're making a song that's fun and you know that's bouncy you have to just you can't address serious issues on those tracks, but I, I actually don't believe that. I actually think it's a really good way because if it's, if a track has those qualities that could kind of take them beyond what people will box as like, um, I don't know, maybe political songs or whatever. Um, then maybe someone will be listening to that song that one day it would take it maybe 25 listens before they actually hear what you're saying, but it's still important, you know, um, because I hate the idea of being boxed. <laughs> Uh, as anything so first of all i'm a musician and that's what i do and and that always comes first the quality of the music is it something that's actually good sonically um so that comes first and the lyrics uh comes naturally depending on what i'm feeling at the time so um i rarely ever write and say okay i'm just gonna write a sad song and um make some sad sounding beats go with it or anything like that you know um so yeah that's 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 kind of how that happened
4: I wonder how, like, the last week has kind of hit you personally. Um, I've seen Erica Cody on TV talking about how over the years she's felt her, like, efforts have been constantly diminished. But maybe something is changing now. How how's this kind of week, a really heavy week for all of us, struck you?
5: Uh, Yeah, it's been a very, very, very heavy week, right? Um, Because what, what actually makes it more, I suppose, like, so the tension was there. First day, we all heard it. We all saw the video, but it was like, it wasn't the first time we were seeing that, you know, similar things have happened and we've watched them over and over again. But this one seemed to be picking up momentum, like, you know, people's response to it, um, with the protest. And, and I, I was actually saying it's probably down to the fact that we're all tired of being inside as well. And, um, you know, like people wanted to get out there and, and cause you can't, you just, they couldn't take it anymore. And then um also we have more time to be on social media. I did. I have more time. I'm usually not on Twitter as much. Um, but then I was I have more time to just check what's going on today. Because on the news there wasn't a whole lot of coverage about it in the early days anyway. There wasn't a whole lot. But then you look on social media and it's like, oh wow, this is all everyone is talking about. Then you see um people that look like you from every corner of the world and coming out with their own stories and like things that we all like if you're black you knew this was happening but we um for different reasons either you don't feel comfortable talking about them or you just feel like you'd be unheard um so you decide to not say anything and then hearing some of the stories and you know things that were happening to other people then you're like wow i thought maybe i mean i knew it wasn't the only one but just hearing it you relate to it so much that you're actually compelled to also lend your voice to it and um and you have to confront i always had to like confront this idea of like don't just like be part of the noise you know um for so long like i've been measured in everything that i've ever put out um but then you also at some point you're also a human being and you have emotions and and you can't expect people to always be measuring how they react when they're when they're angry, when they're sad, and when they're feeling all these like intense emotions, you know. So um, so then I, I kind of started started saying a few things. First of all, acknowledging my own part in the silence. First of all, because there's so many things I've been silent about. Um, to just let the people who know the activists out there speak on. And just focus on maybe addressing these issues in my music. Um, but this time around, I'm like, no, that's not enough. You know, I, I just felt like I need to do more. Um, because I have so many people that I know who don't actually know how, how I felt or, or things that I was going through. But then I would say, you know, people are my friends. Then it's like, I'm playing a part in it too by now, actually confronting people or, actually calling people out when they say things that that they shouldn't be saying you know so i need to go through this process of like healing but also like finding the courage and the bravery to to stand up for something that is real to me and that will always be real to me because you cannot change you cannot change what you know what you look like and, and, and i've no int- intention of doing that ever um but I will hear for the next generation to also go through everything our generation is going through um, because we haven't done anything about it. So, yeah, that's that's a long answer to your question.
4: It's a good answer. Uh, I think, you know, in some quarters, there has been a dismissive attitude towards Irish protests. And there is this kind of feeling among some people of like, oh, well, it's an American problem and we're on lockdown and. What you say to that mindset? Because you have had a kind of, there was a great tweet you put out where you were kind of saying, listen, I can't even begin to tell you how deep this goes. There's lots yeah. of kind of minor things going on that are racist, that are at least biased and that people are overlooking. And I think there, this should be a big wake up call for people that keep hitting snooze, right? 100%. Um,
5: <clears throat> if it's a wake up call for me, then I'm hoping that it'd be a wake up call for everybody out there, you know, who... If you're active in any way, like in, in, no matter what job you do or everything that you do, the reality is like there are black people in Ireland now. They might not have been 100 years ago, but yeah, they're here now, and they're going to be here, you know. <laughs> um, so then we might as well learn to live with one another. Like it, it, it's, it's important, right? And um, for a while, as a black person. Um, you feel like, okay, I'm accepted in this country, but not 100%. So I can give myself as much as I can, but it will never suffice. Like, it, people will never be satisfied with everything that I do because, like, people will always look at me as someone who doesn't belong here. Not everybody, of course. <laughs> um, and then, so the, the struggle has always been like, but how do you ever convince those people? You know, um, and, and, and these tough things to happen when you, especially when you do something that's like, um, when you do something that you consider important and influential, that's when everyone who hates everything you represent, their voices are louder as well. And then, um, those are moments that you actually feel it more because you're like, wow, I just did something that I thought was like monumental, <laughs> you know? And, um, all you see is what well, because of the way I look, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, so uh watching watching all of that happen online was like, you know, whenever someone speaks speaks up, there'd be like ten other comments like of things, just vile things about you know, racist people pretty much coming up, but also people who 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 wouldn't say anything like quote unquote racist, but really are racist things, you know, because like it's like okay, so even the idea of like if someone say black life matters, black or Black lives matter. And then you come out and your response is, no, all lives matter. Okay. So what is your response to here? It's like, are you saying that? Because we can all say that as well. Okay. All lives matter. So black lives should matter too. You know, like nobody's saying that only black lives matter. That's actually not the hashtag. Like, you know, that's not the movement. It's not only black lives matter. So if you're hearing black lives matter and your response is like, all lives matter. I kind of take that as as an insult. Because are you thinking, are you saying that I don't know that all lives matter? It's, like, it's kind of a veiled
4: way of like shutting down the conversation, which is hugely negative, isn't is. it? Yeah.
5: It is, yeah. Now, so then, um, so I suppose that that's probably the thing now is like, why are people always looking for excuses? And that's the one thing that I'm like, no, nah, that's actually no, okay. Is like I'm seeing a lot of excuses now. You know, it's like yeah, okay, uh, I understand Black Lives Matters. What what did George is horrible and all, but couldn't they wait a bit? Couldn't they wait a little longer before they go out there and protest? Or you know, yeah, but 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 what about this other case here? And, and, and I'm like, wait though, like. But this is what people are feeling right now, right? Like this is the moment we're living. This is the time we're living. This might be the only opportunity I, I have to ever say anything about it or to even react to it because we all know how many times have situations, things happen and we talked about it. And then two, three weeks later, it's just another case. It's just another name to add to the list. This sad list of, you know, people's lives just gone like that. So to the people who don't get it, I'm, I've come to a point. Where I'm like, a lot of people don't get it because they don't want to get it. They actually don't want to on this because they don't want to see that happen. They don't want to see that many people out in the streets in Ireland, um, protesting, uh, police brutality. So, um, then what can I do in that case? It's like, and people who are older already, um, how can I educate them? I don't know how I can, but I need to just work on, Maybe the, the younger generation on, on educating the younger generation and setting examples um, that they can follow. And, and, what, and I think that the, um, the protest in Dublin was a really good example on like this is how you stand up for something that means a lot to you. It's something that you know in your heart is not right.
2: I I want to take it back to 2017 for a second, the Choice Music Prize win. It was such a huge moment. It was incredible. I mean, by all accounts, from the judges' room that night that I've heard, even though, you know, you're not allowed to say anything, you know, you hear some things every now and then (laughs) in the old Irish music journalism (laughs) game. By all accounts, in a a very strong year, competition-wise, it was an open and shut case. It was very much a case of, like, well, this is the best album. Like, we know it is. And Mm. we'll go through the motions, but... It's and Ghana family. And it felt right. It felt like the moment. It felt right on merit. It felt right, you know, as representation. It felt like a huge, huge moment for for the country. It felt reflective of Ireland. And yeah. at the same time, I mean, listen, is not that I don't think for one second the Roos Ghana family can't, you know, be that standard bearer. You guys are standard bearers. However, is it is it also kind of unfair for us to just so willingly be like, you know. Put that pressure on you maybe i mean like like is there any kind of like responsibility that comes with that that is maybe like easy for us to say but then for you to just go ahead and live it you know maybe we're perhaps boxing you in again to a, a place that we shouldn't be doing
5: yeah i mean look that may be true to a certain extent but i think i suppose it depends on how you take it personally like yourself i mean me um the way i look at it is like even if that was to be the case it's okay me to because i would like to do that you know i would like to take that on and and push things forward you know because it's like i will make it my responsibility um to make sure we put in quality stuff um things that represent me and people that look like me um now yeah should i be like should we be like oh the poster child of uh, multicultural ireland or whatever no, I don't think anybody wants to be that because being, being black is a lot of things. You know, it's not just one thing. It's not just one way. It's not a, it's not, there's not like a uniform way of expressing, um, your blackness or everything else because you're like, you're a human being before everything else, right? Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't actually feel that there is that, pre- I don't actually feel it that much that there is that pressure on like, yeah, these are the, guys. but one thing I would like to point out is that, Sometimes when things like that happen, it could be tokenized, right? Then it becomes the moment that everyone refers to when, I don't know, if in five years time someone else makes an album that's deserving of like praise or whatever, or that should be like charting or whatever. And someone brings up, ah, look, it's like, that just hasn't been happening. And then someone will be like, ah, no, no, don't say that now. In 2017, Rusangana family uh, won the Choice Music Prize. so. So that's enough, right? No, it's not enough. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and that's what I don't want to happen. So I, I don't know if that answers your question.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that like that there is that element of like, oh yeah, we take that box. I mean, like, mm-hmm. and again, like, yeah. not in, in any way to frame. The 2017 win in a negative i think it's just it's been it's been oh no that was a,
5: an amazing moment yeah it's it, it, know, it was a incredible. life-changing moment yeah
2: you, and you could feel it in that room it was like an unbelievable the, like because obviously risk gano gigs in particular are these incredible communal events like that's one of the big draws the energy that you have on stage translates to the crowd i think it's kind of a it's, it's communication you know it's very much kind of a back and forth and very much a safe atmosphere as well And you could feel that In Vicker Street that night And what is Like let's be honest I mean the Choice Music Prize Is an industry piss up Like you know That's what it is that's Hold on Dave <laughs> You see it <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to be asked to be a judge again, ever um, But like, yeah, I, I just think that there's an interesting kind of fallout Because like, obviously, you and God knows have been doing different things While also working together, Recent Gano is not necessarily on official hiatus or anything But it is interesting to kind of have that huge moment as a group And then take a step back I mean, that in itself is an amazing kind of statement But I, I guess, yeah, what I'm trying to ask is When is the next Recent Gano family album, please? <laughs> 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 Are you looking forward to the next thing
5: family album? Of course, yeah, who wouldn't? Have. Okay, that that's great cuz it's <laughs> like um like I, I don't know, I, I suppose th- the first thing is like for us is like what would it sound like, you know? And um and that's actually what happened when you do the first if your very first project is so well received, then you're like you find yourself in this funny place where you're like, "All oh, right, um do we just like cuz I mean this happened because we're all a, we're all like just doing it. We're free. You know, there was no expectations whatsoever. And now there are expectations, yeah. you know, from our side. And and then even yourself, as much as you don't want to, there's that that is there. I'm, I'm not gonna deny it. You're like, now nah, the next album's bang more, gonna bang more they're gonna bag more than the, the last one. So um it's I suppose the way I look at it is like when the time is right, we will know. Because, because, I mean, we're making music. We make music, um, all the time. We, I mean, we're probably even close to making a Risangano uh, album, uh, like two years ago. Um, but it just didn't feel like what we would all be ha- happy with as a trio. That wasn't there. That wasn't happening at the time. And, um, and, 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 and those, like, the circumstances aren't there yet for us to actually get back in the booth and make that happen. Um, uh, but once we see that, okay, this is, this is a, we, we got something here. Yeah. We, we, you know, it, it, we will make it happen.
2: All right, I'm happy about that, Craig. Yes. That's our exclusive. That's our exclusive, Craig. We got it. No, <laughs> Guyana,
5: um, is, is happening. I wish I could tell you like, uh, okay, 2022,
2: we're dropping the next, you know.
5: Rudy 2022, Guyana. you
2: heard it, folks. Yeah, Get that on the Wikipedia page, Craig, in the next five minutes. 2022, it's confirmed. You know one thing? Um, this, is, this is actually a thing. Um,
5: John actually um, vocalized that a few years ago when he was like, the great thing is like, it's important that we all, cause we're all individual artists. And it's important that we, we continue to like, hone our skills as well in what we do best, you know? Because that's why when we came together as a trio, it worked so well. Even though like, I know for a lot of people, when you put a lot of individuals together, that's not necessarily what makes a good group, right? But, um, but I actually like the idea because it pushes all of us to work a little harder in what we do in our own field as well. And for example, like, I'm producing a lot now. And when we're recording, when we're working as for Sangano, I, I I, wasn't producing. You know, I would, I would just be like, well, John's got that. So I would just rely on John, you know, when it comes to production. But now it's giving, it's giving me time to actually work on that. And now we have the stuff, you know, I've got with Denise now. And God knows he's like collaborating with a lot of other artists from here and from all over, all over Ireland. Um, so I think that's actually really good as well. For, that's still the spirit of Rusangano family. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's important that people actually, cause we said it from day one, Rusangano is more than just the three of us. Um, it, we saw it as almost like a movement, you know, it's like, a, it's a family. It's a, it's a bigger collective. Um, so everything that I do now is still Rusangano in a way. But I understand what people are looking forward to is the, you know, the three lads. <laughs> the brand,
4: man. So yeah, The brand
5: name. <laughs> I know, I know.
2: <laughs> okay, so yeah, as of this podcast dropping, as we say, Till the Wheels Fall Off is out now. You can get it via Merley's Bandcamp. It'll be on his Twitter page as well. All proceeds from the track will go to M-A-S-I, the Movement of Asylum Seekers in Ireland. The track is excellent. It's vital. It's important. Everyone should go and check it out. Murley, thank you so, so much for talking to us this week. I really, really do appreciate it.
5: Thank you for having me and um yeah man, I hope I hope we do this again. Uh maybe when we're all able to actually shake hand again, shake hands, yeah. we will make it happen again. That'll be great. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was great. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely man, see you soon, thank you so much.
5: Thank you ever my voice in I'm gonna have to take a pass on the on the back.
2: Thank you once again to Max and to Merle. Really, really enjoyed that. Very important stuff and great to have them on board this week. Do go check out their work. So into the news this week, Craig, and we'll start on a very similar theme. There was a huge Black Lives Matter solidarity protest in Dublin City Centre on the 1st of June on Monday. And a lot more people showed up than maybe had been anticipated. It's estimated between four and 5,000 people in total. And of course, this is happening during a pandemic in which social distancing is a huge, huge uh, protective measure. And understandably, you know, there's some health concerns here. I will be flat out and say that I was there. I went to the to the march and it was a very powerful and affecting scene to be at. It was a very powerful and affecting moment, I think, in history. I think it needed to happen. I think that, you know, while I completely understand any health concerns, because listen, I have the same health concerns myself. I am being very careful. I was very careful on the day as someone who was there on the ground, I can say that, you know, some of the photographs kind of did a bit of a disservice in the sense that, while well, don't get me wrong, this was unquestionably a mass gathering. There's no way around that. And you were in close proximity to an awful lot of people. It was very well spaced out. People weren't on top of each other. I felt much more overwhelmed at your average fucking music festival. You know, people wore masks. You know, it was, we hope that nothing horrific will come out of it. But at the same time. I think people who have been saying stuff like, oh, well, like, why not wait until September or whatever, simply don't understand the reason why this protest was happening in the first place. And ultimately, I think that it was a really good thing. I think it was a really necessary thing. And it was it was an experience I won't forget uh, for quite some time. Of course, in response to this, uh, there has been public outrage and there has been the announcement of a Garda investigation. And it should be yeah. noted that... Um, one of the organisers, uh, JLOL, musician, he has released a statement, and I will read that to you now. Ireland stood in solidarity to show that Black Lives Matter. Thank you to all the absolute royalty that made it possible, from the people who marched with us to the guardy who cooper- cooperatively worked with us to facilitate a peaceful demonstration of solidarity. We were all overwhelmed by the turnout. I thought 100 people in attendance would have been ambitious, but we've shown that we were connected through joy in the good times and through pain in the difficult times." Both times love is manifested through the power of unity. Our love and support is extended to our brothers and sisters in the US and across the world who need it. Our togetherness and diversity is something to be celebrated and we've shown that we're committed to not only being not a racist country but an anti-racist country. This was a proud day for us. The step we need to take now is one of education, not one-sided but all-sided. Let's keep the discussion open and spread understanding. Encourage uncomfortable dialogue without alienation so we can maintain and spread this unity. I will be self-isolating for the next two weeks, and I urge everyone who is present to do the same. And for anyone looking to engage with any organized protest, do the same, but also take precautionary action. Let's push on from here. We are in the process of change and growth. I think quite well said by him.
4: Yeah, really well said. And that kind of final point of like, listen, I'll be self-isolating. I'd recommend people do the same. It seems across the board that it was hugely respectful of the cause, um, people being respectful of each other. And of course, the other cause of the entire country trying to keep each other safe at this moment. And like, you know, we're at a point now where... When I leave the house you can see the numpties coming out and enjoying their glasses of white wine in the sun as their kids kind of play away together and co mingle and all that stuff there's a lot of that kind of thing going on I'm much I didn't go to the marches because it would have been you know public transport and living with family it just was a non-runner for me um but I'm much I'm much happier with the kind of respectful people the kind of conscientious people that will attend such a march getting out there social distancing than other stuff you see. And like, it it seemed like a kind of not an issue to me. And people that were raising it as an issue seemed quite disingenuous at times. Do you know what I mean? Like it seemed to play into that narrative of like, this isn't really our issue. Simmer down a bit uh, later, later, you know, we can, you know, that's it. It's a decent enough cause, but we can get back to it. And just like reading and watching a lot of, say, James Baldwin the last week or so, he has that quote where he talks about like time and what is this thing about time? People are always saying we must wait, we must wait. What are we? What are we waiting for? Um, and I think these things can't really wait anymore. It just kind of diminishes it even more. Absolutely. I mean, look.
2: It's happening during a pandemic because it's happening during a pandemic. That's the absolute fucking truth of it. And listen, like I say, the health concerns are real. They absolutely are. And everyone involved who went to that thing certainly does not want to put anyone in danger the, you know, maybe it's naive, maybe there's naive hope that that won't happen. Also, at the same time, Guardi were present, you know, like Guardi were involved, like there is a Gardie investigation coming, but that's because they have to, because it was, it was greater in volume than they thought it would be. But I saw zero trouble. It was incredibly peaceful. It was communal. It was welcoming. It was inviting. It was important. It was, it was a moment for this country and one that reflects the young people in this country and people who, you know, there's people who couldn't go for safety reasons. And that's, you know, of course. Totally fine. And like, you know, like I say, I hope I hope nobody comes to regret going. Uh, You can't put a pause on these issues. You can't just like say like, yeah, down the road. And, And I would agree that there are definitely are people out there who are using it as an agenda to try and bury this and to try and bury the importance of it. Uh, who also are probably fucking off to a park or a beach. I mean, like, oh, yeah, Phoenix I mean, parks, I've like, seen there's been full of people. I mean, like, yeah, you know, it's not. and
4: there's been publicans, there's been publicans coming out and being like, well, did you see the protests on the weekend? Clearly, the lockdown's over, so why can't we open back up? You know, it's, it's all about furthering people's own selfish agendas.
2: At the same time, I will say that I do deeply sympathise with anybody who is feeling upset that perhaps there were, you know, losses in their family or there have been important life events that have been missed out because of uh, isolation and quarantine. And I understand that there is a a genuine valid anger there when you see something like this, if you have been following the rules and you have been affected very quite negatively by them because, of course, there are are daily deaths in this country. It's a very complex issue. It's reflective of a bigger complex issue in the world. The timing isn't perfect. The system is not... Like the most imperfect thing that there fucking is, and I don't know. it. it, like it, it felt like, it felt like civil disobedience. You know, like in, like in every sense, of, like, like of that term. And it felt important. And I I really hope that it will have a positive, galvanizing effect on people in the long run. But unfortunately you're still seeing an awful lot of people who seem to, don't seem to understand why it took place in the first place and would have a problem with it taking place even if there wasn't a pandemic elsewhere. There have been a great many statements made by lots of different musicians. Denzel Curry is one of them. He, his brother, uh, was shot dead by police and he has made very, very defined statements essentially telling his fans, You're with me you're, or you're against me. It's it's sad that he has to make the statements at all. I mean, there are so many, uh, like moments, whether it's on social media or whether it's people on television shows, whatever, like it's hard to keep up. Um, uh, some of them have stood out for all the wrong reasons. Uh, you're a big Nirvana fan, Craig. How are you feeling
4: about that? <laughs> I don't appreciate uh, the title you've put on <laughs> this story in the running order, Dave. Nirvana sadly cancelled forever. Sorry. Um, <laughs> really say it ain't so, Kurt wouldn't have been pleased um, with one, Chris Novoselic, who I thought was, like, a good dude, right? So this is, of course, a former bassist uh, for Nir- for Nirvana, and I'd seen, like, on his Wikipedia in the past, and just various news stories where he's, like, described as a political activist, and you think, oh, the, the kind of friendly dude from Nirvana who lives in Seattle, clearly he's, like, some fucking, you know, uh, vegan, kind of, like, fucking pro-choice, far-left, right-on dude, Maybe he was at one stage, but that's definitely curdled because he took to the internet sadly this week in praise of Donald Trump and his bizarre surreal speech he gave about law and order. Um, saying, Wow, I know many of you can't stand him, however, Trump knocked it out of the park with this speech. Um, he actually went to the rally, um, and he was talking about how you know, social media and television are looping images of societal breakdown. He wasn't seeing any of that. Um, He did did acknowledge that Trump shouldn't be sending troops into states. He may not legally be able to do that, but he lauded Trump's tone as strong and direct. Now, I will say the latest update is um, Chris has come out to clarify a few things. (laughs) Good man, Chris. Uh, He said he's an avowed independent. He doesn't endorse anyone. and he feels it insane to have to say it, but he doesn't support fascism. Um, He says, I don't support an authoritarian state. So apparently he just supports all the markers of it. I don't really understand that. But yeah, very disconcerting. It's a disconcerting world because I spent the week like being very upset uh, about an ex-member of Nirvana whilst praising Jedward. <laughs> also listening to Lifeline and hearing Brendan O'Carroll be totally right on and excellent. I'm like, oh, fair play to Mrs. Brown. Um, It's a topsy-turvy world. Axel Rose has bad-mouthed Trump
2: as well. I don't think any of us saw that coming. I mean, meanwhile, we've had two very different opinions from the members of System of a Down regarding Donald Trump's reaction to the George Floyd protests. Frontman Serge Tankian has called on him to resign. And it's like, yeah, right on. That's what you would certainly expect from the man who runs System of a Down. But uh, letting me and drummers down across the world is John Dalmayan, who has come out and praised Trump and described him as the greatest friend to minorities. Uh, he shared a Trump quote on his Instagram and you know said let's not let the narrative that's being spun make us forget the truth of the statement Uh, the most attacked president in history yet the greatest friend to minorities don't believe it look at the stats don't like it doesn't change the truth of it. and then he doubled down like he put up a photograph of a 77 year old retired police captain by the name of David Dorn who was fatally shot at a pawn shop in St. Louis Missouri corresponding to an alarm said injustice breeds injustice for those of you who vilified me for calling for peaceful protests you should be ashamed of yourselves for perpetuating violence and advocating for mob justice this man had a family too I don't care how many of you condemn me for my views and defence of the president I will fight your attempt to silence any voice that isn't in line with your perceived morally superior views and it goes on from there I mean listen I mean I just find that this Bad of, week like,
4: for rhythm sections
2: <laughs> It's a bad week for rhythm sections yeah for the, bad week for the third best basses in Nirvana and uh, a, a pretty fucking good drummer like I mean oh god I mean those first two System of Down albums man are so good I, I don't want
4: to have to not listen to them anymore come on Oh man L- Lounge Act what are you talking about that's incredible Incredible as baselines go. Um this doesn't affect Nirvana for me, I don't think. It's still Kurt's band, so you know the rest were just hard hands. <laughs> yeah. I mean
2: listen, we're not gonna go through every single fucking element here because there's just so much happening on like like a, a, a on a regular basis, but Dave, there's... I started
4: crying during uh James Corden program this week. <laughs> Did you actually <laughs> Well, no, my eyes were watering, though. It was, in fairness, he was on with, um, you know, his band leader. Or I don't even know if he's got a full band, but Reggie Watts, the kind of very versatile, talented musician guy. He was on, so he was kind of like Skyping him in, and they were chatting about what was going on. And just Reggie, I've, I've interviewed him before. He's a really, really awesome dude. Um, But he was talking about the tough week that he'd had and how he'd, you know, um spent his life trying not to be defined by being black and, you know, trying to kind of live as an individual Um, but just talking about how that latent stuff was like always under the surface and it just bubbled up and he kind of broke down and James Corden was like, I wish I could be there to hug you, man. And I was just like, I'm in bits. I'm in bits right now. Damn you, James Corden. Wow. Okay. Jeez. You're that one guy. Okay. Um, (laughs) so here's the thing,
2: right? Um, like I say, it's been a week of hot takes. It's been a week of strange things. Uh, for this next section, if you haven't seen this footage, I want you to picture a man on the top of a building, like like a rooftop fucking skyscraper situation, and an opulent big musical DJ platform set up around him, uh, giving an impassioned speech to a camera. Step forward, David Guetta.
1: The world is going through difficult times, and America too, actually. So
5: last night, I knew we were going to do this and
1: I made a special record. So this record is in honor of George Floyd. And I really hope we can see more unity and more peace when already things are so difficult. So shout out to his family. face the difficulties of today and tomorrow i still have a dream it is a dream deeply rooted in the american dream i have a dream
2: i can't i can't even get through no. like, i mean jesus christ where do you even begin uh what are uh, you doing g-man as we call him his, shout out to his family and then the Martin Luther King speech, and also like you can't see it, but he's like doing a big shoulder shimmy dance at the end of that thing. Apparently, like it was like it was part of some big Instagram live thing or something. And I would not say it's like if if the foot if you keep the footage moving, I think Robert Perez shows up or something in the like like as someone who's watching it or donating or
4: I don't know. Um, David Gett is terrible yeah, just the fact he doesn't drop the kind of slick d j patter. It's the kind of like the voice is like exactly what I heard when I used to go to like zinc nightclub or something. It's like <laughs> Friday nights uh, security to dance floor <laughs> like that kind of nonsense <laughs> I mean, well intentioned, but Jesus, tone deaf. It oh, was shared David by it was shared by
2: Hudson Mohawk, who basically was like, I I don't have the words for how wrong and tone deaf this is. Uh, and it just it was that was Saturday morning, and I was like, okay, at least Do you remember? So, laugh here. Do you
4: remember when um, George Hamilton was left dumbstruck by David Guetta, the G Man, when he opened the uh, like 2016 uh, Euros? It's pretty special. Oh, yeah, he He's did do just that. like David Guetta was performing, and George just goes, David Guetta, there, one of France's top men <laughs> he was like what Didn't,
2: is not um, <laughs> were we like on a night out once and you had to leave the night out to go and review a David Guetta gig and then come back did I am, am yeah I, I, I
4: went by myself when I was working for Hot Press I went to review David Guetta by myself on a Friday night totally alone um, I was in a suit as is my want as well so I was like standing at this Gweta gig and people were just like well that guy is clearly just a drug dealer because he's in a suit <laughs> and he's all alone so people just kept coming up to me looking for stuff of course there'd never be uh, any drugs at an Irish gig uh, well, let's just box that off but yeah people thought that I went, I, over no to, uh,
2: I went over to Berlin for one day for, like, the launch of a phone thing, again, also for Hot Press, and we ended up going to this warehouse at, like, 2 in the morning where David Getty was DJing, quote-unquote, in the corner, and it was yeah. pretty horrific, you know? Not a lot of fun. <laughs> like, I can't,
4: I I can't I imagine. Didn't,
2: didn't enjoy him, but it's time to talk about Hot Press, Craig. Do you want to tick this one off? Kick this yeah, one off, I so. should say.
4: Yeah, We've had an apology. Um, the world has had an apology from Stuart Clark, deputy editor. Um, friend of ours, good guy that uh, we know well. Um, but he wrote a not so good piece. Um, it was actually last year. It was August twenty nineteen, I believe. Uh, it was on the subject of Versatile and the huge kind of problematic nature of them as a group and their lyrics. Um. The piece last year was kind of, it only came to my attention this week, it was kind of a def- defense of the group and a kind of thing of like, well, hip-hop has been, you know, sailing close to the wind for a long time and why is this any different? And it was just totally, again, tone-deaf. I think Stuart got it wrong and people have found it in the last week or so, um, called him out uh, quite rightly and he has quite rightly totally apologized um, in what was really heartfelt, like for, for someone that knows the guy quite well, and he's, you know, you'd know yourself, Dave, he's one of the most empathetic people around. Uh, I can only imagine the last few days have been eating him alive. Um Like no one would have been harder uh, on Stuart than himself, I can imagine. So yeah, I thought the apology was was quite no, quite nicely handled. What What's your kind of take on the situation?
2: Okay, so this is an, another kind of complex one in a way where, so we know Stuart quite well, so we're obviously biased here. Um, I will say, so the piece, he, he interviewed them. This goes back a long time. And I, and I also want to start off by saying that like people have been have been uh, rightly uh, getting very annoyed that Versatile have been given media coverage in Ireland yeah. and has helped propel them. And that is correct. And the people who've done that are at fault. I am one of those people. That is true. When I worked for Joe, I mean, I definitely endorsed them. And I did so in a way where at Electric Picnic two years ago... I remember on the Friday night, Kendrick Lamar was headlining in the main stage, and before he was on, I went into the Electric Arena, which was like, this is probably about like nine o'clock at night or something, and it was fucking rammed. Like, people were just spilling out of it, and I was like, what the hell is going on over here? So, you know, it's a festival, Craig. Um, You're milling around. Like, I don't want to sound too unprofessional, but I'd had a few beers. Um, I may have taken drugs, (laughs) but like, that doesn't matter. The context of it is that I went into a tent full of people, and first of all, we're on stage... Uh, their lyrics were indecipherable. I'm not trying to sound like Arsene Wenger, I didn't see this or anything. I'm just being, I'm giving you context to what I saw. And I had my angle, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be writing a review of day one at one in the morning in a ship, a fucking B&B offsite, you know, which I did. And I had my angle. My angle was like, well, these guys stole the show. Because they did. They stole the show. They, they, they had the more compelling story. I was like, something is happening here. This is a moment. It's a moment for Irish hip hop. It's a moment for Irish music. People are feverishly running into this tent and like, look around you. There's such energy and it's like, what am I seeing? Like, like it's just it's just this unbelievable sequence and this unbelievable scene. And then later on, Kendrick Lamar on the main stage just kind of entered into your standard main stage festival performance and it was fine. So I was... Like you know, uh, versatile stole the show. This here guys and I and I wrote like in the context of being at a festival w- that that it was that, it, that like what I've just said. So like it, while it wasn't quite sitting down with them and chatting to them and writing a big character profile, I'm definitely guilty of of helping them out. You know, like I mean, like in the months that would follow, as I learned more about them. I w- never really had a lot of time for them. I mean, and ultimately I wanted to interview them. I put in requests. I chased in interviews with them. I I, I was supposed to interview them at one stage. They canceled all their interviews because the gigs all day immediately They didn't need to do any. I emailed their management. I emailed MCD. I emailed, you know, other people. I, I wanted to talk to them. I'm not saying I would have like written the perfect fucking Jeremy Paxman grilling session, but I wanted to ask them genuine questions. I wanted to ask them real questions about, is this a joke? Is this a gimmick? You know, your lyrics, et cetera. And I never got the chance to do it. ...because they avoided all media. The only media that they would speak to was hot press... ...because they knew they would get an easy ride. They knew they would get soft chewing. They they got the annual cover that year... ...and they got a Stuart Clark interview. And Stuart, listen, here's the thing about Stuart. I was in hot press from 2011 to 2014... And Stuart Clark is the conscience of that magazine. He is the fucking heartbeat of that building. He's he, the he, the embodiment of everything good about our press. I would say he the most progressive person I've met in that realm. Um, he has been in that office like back in the like the early days when I was there. Himself and Maeve Heslin, you know, through his influence and together, I mean, they were the only people in that room who were actually advocating for, championing for, and providing a space for Irish hip hop in the magazine. Oh, totally, yeah, like hugely. without question that it, that that is the case. Stewart has also been extremely, um, like fucking diligent and determined about causes beyond music. He has, you know, like. Uh, like, spearheaded campaigns about drugs in this country, about injecting centres, about um, direct provision, asylum seekers, racist issues. I mean, like, Stuart is a fucking British punk from, like, who was on pirate radio, literal pirate radio, on the seas in the fucking 70s. He's got a huge heart. He was welcoming to every single person who I saw walk into that building, regardless of who they were, where they were from, or anything. He fucked up here. He got this totally wrong. So, like, he basically did an interview with, with, with Versatile... Whatever that it probably was at the end of 2018, and then last summer he wrote an op-ed piece, which was designed to be like you know, kind of provocative in, in that hot press way, you know, like you know we like to be a bit, bit provocative here, and we all do as music journalists. And he basically was like, "Are they racist? Are the lyrics racist? What's the story?" And he wrote a piece that was just wrong. I mean, like it just it, it, he just got he got it wrong, and he was yeah. I mean, he was conflating I'm stuff, not stuff. To say that he didn't. And I'm trying to give you the context of someone who like. There are people who have rejected his apology and I've seen that. And they've rejected it with, with incredible um, haste and just like, you know, I know, fuck this. This is tone deaf. This is wrong. He's, he's, he's got this wrong. And, and, and I, I read the apology and we can read from it now in a second, but like, I think it's mostly there. Um, I, I think there's elements where I'm like, eh, I don't know if you need to so. say that. But ultimately, I I, I I just think that if if you think Stuart Clark is the enemy... I I I'm t- I promise you he isn't. I just he's just yeah. not.
4: And that you know you know that is the kind of that is the Twitter thing of like he kind of unreservedly apologizes, and it's not good enough for some people, which is their prerogative hugely. Um, I think the likes of Erica Cody and I saw the overwhelming majority of people that took initial kind of umbrage quite rightly were like, well, this is a step in the right direction. And I was actually surprised how kind of warmly received the apology was, because I think people knew that he was like, hands up, Um, I I fucked up, Um, I want to do better, I'm sorry for hurting people, Um, which is all you can really ask. And yeah, everything you said there about Stuart was right, Dave, I mean, he's the kind of old punk with like the hippie uh, disposition. Um, if he wasn't working for Hot Press, he would be working for an NGO. I mean, that's kind of Stuart. That's that's where he's at. That's where his kind of his ambitions and his aims are. He's not in it for a careerism by any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, it was my takeaway.
2: So he said on Twitter, you know, the versatile piece I wrote last year has hurt people I deeply respect. I got it wrong and I apologise. In the piece it opens up with him saying, I want to address this issue in an appropriate fashion and to fully acknowledge the justifiable hurt and anger that is being shared by so many including myself and everyone working for Hot Press in response to the brutal murder of George Floyd and President Trump's subsequent appalling reaction. I read many powerful testimonies about the impact of racism, both overt and casual. It is something that I, I has no place in any civilised society and I have no hesitation in condemning in every respect. Unequivocally black lives and how they are lived, whether in our or across the world matter deeply. Now for a second in my entire life have I felt anything different. However, on the basis of the feelings of genuine hurt it has aroused, I clearly got it wrong in the original opinion piece for which I apologise. Now he does go on to say that he raised questions about hip hop and culture that he hasn't seen a satisfactory answer for. And he does basically also say that the famous kind of doing the rounds image of versatile in blackface, presumably at a fucking house party or something, that he hadn't seen it prior to interviewing them slash writing that piece, and if he had, his opinions would be different. I can completely understand why people are seizing on that element of it and saying, like, this shouldn't matter. You should have already had the context. You should have, I've already have explored their lyrics and, and should have seen what was in front of you. I do understand people who are angry, and I think that their anger is absolutely valid. It absolutely is. And I you know, I, I'm we Craig and I are obviously biased here. We know Stuart personally. We know him very well. He's been nothing but wonderful to us in our career as journalists and just as people. You know, it's it's a, it, it, it's it's a real shame that that he got this wrong. He knows he got it wrong. I would agree with you, Craig, that I guarantee he's bet himself up like crazy. Um, and like I say, like I mean, like even like that piece I wrote for Joe, I regret it. I like I like I absolutely regret it like like, like that because I do feel like you know in a well read Irish publication, I basically was like these guys are great. Even though, you know, I've gone back and I've read that what I wrote, and I'm like, well, it's not actually all that you know researched. It's not all that like in depth. It's just a reaction I had at a festival on a Friday night when I was a bit fucking goosed and also I saw an angle and I took it, I really am annoyed that I never got the chance to kind of explore them further by talking to them and grilling them. That's what I wanted to do. But, you know, there is also a pressure on you as a music journalist to have an opinion straight away and like nail it every fucking time and people fuck up and make mistakes. I hope that there can be the context of that. I hope that people will actually look and see that Stuart has done so much good And we can all hopefully move on from it. And yeah, basically, like, I think we all need to just stop fucking talking about first of all because they fucking suck. And I hope they go away. I don't think that they are going to go away, sadly, but they're trash. Everyone knows that they're trash. And hopefully we can just focus on uh, some positive Irish music, like Gavin James, for example. You know, I mean, like, he's. Uh, Yeah, now, Dave, on
4: on a lighter note, do we owe an apology to Gavin James? Because we were kind of lightly ribbing him um, for him trying to kickstart the economy. Yeah, well listen, Craig, I mean
2: like like I say, I like people make mistakes. I like I I I made a mistake. I I I spoke at a turn. I I didn't look too far into it and then Gavin James got on Twitter and got into lots of arguments with people over the bank holiday weekend and then did an interview in the Cork Examiner in which he said that, you know, I think people who are giving out about this don't understand that it's about thousands of lads who can't work at the moment and if they don't get it, to be honest, I don't give a fuck, you know? I mean, Yeah, he's now a this is his
4: live at the drive-in tour that he's organising um, and of course a lot a lot of people in social media were saying, listen, um, these kind of strict conditions won't uh, make for much fun, maybe particularly with the Gavin James brand of music. But um, yeah, he's he's doing it for the people behind the scenes. And listen, of course, the industry is more than on its knees. So anything at all can totally help. Um, like, he seems like a good dude. But yeah, he's letting it all hang, hang out there.
2: Well, he has to, you know, like he's stood up now. I, like My kind of reaction to it is that like, if you have to keep passive aggressively explaining what you're doing, like to everyone... Might be an indication that there's a slight flaw in the argument here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I read a piece over the weekend, or over the week, rather, um, in the New York Times about a drive-in disco in Germany where it feels like Saturday night all the time. And there is a fascination, you know, uh, there is a cultural fascination here with, with some of these pieces and some of these these events. And, you know, listen, if it works and people get paid, great. I'm not trying to stop that. I just think that, once again, the idea of being trapped in a fucking glass box as Gavin James is played over a tannoy, I presume, and I can't leave my car. I mean, nah, it's just not right really for me. Lastly, this week, uh, and also concerning Irish music, it is very important to state, uh, again, it's one of those weeks where, like, the amount of news is moving so fast, there's so much happening, stuff can get missed. Um, this has been talked about for a while, it's been brought forward, and it is it is very, very important. And the first of its kind for Ireland's creative sector, uh, an organisation by the name of Minding Creative Minds, MCM, a free 24-7 wellbeing support programme for the Irish music sector was launched. And this is in conjunction with like the RT Choice Music Prize, First Fortnight, IMRO, IRMA, Universal Music Ireland, the BAI, and others. Um, Essentially, musicians in Ireland will have access to uh, services that are designed to help kind of lighten the load on their kind of physical, mental, creative strains. There will be a 24-7 dedicated phone line, there'll be a counselling service, um, short-term intervention up to six sessions, telephone counselling, video counselling. There's also the chance to speak to people about advice on practical day-to-day issues, legal assistance, financial assistance, career guidance, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, like I say, I'm kind of rushing through this because we are at the end of the section, but this is something that's been talked about for a long time. I myself have written about music and mental health quite extensively before, and I'm sure I will again it is it is a thing that doesn't go away I mean I've kind of made the joke lately about like like you know I mean I kind of hinted it last week on the show but uh, I've been made redundant in a new job that I jumped to and it's fine I'll be fine I'm not worried about it but I was like oh like I've you know, I'm like, I'm fucking, I've lost my job and like someone's moved out of the gaff and we're in a pandemic and it's like the world's on fire and there's like horrendous stuff happening every day and there's the need to try and address who we are as individuals. And I'm like, I guess my depression will just go into a box over here in the corner for the rest of the month. You know, it's just like that weird thing. Like this doesn't stop being an issue. It's hugely important. And especially now there's an awful lot of mental strain on people. And I think uh, an initiative like this, which to me on paper looks fucking great. It's long overdue. It's hugely welcome and any musician in Ireland who like is unaware of what I'm talking about uh, there's a twitter account as well minding creative minds is the name of the organisation there's a lot of stuff on websites like nowlanon and such this week if you want more information go and check it out
4: yeah, very much so. And it is so pertinent at the moment, because I think like a lot of people are in like prolonged um, fight or flight mode. It's just like months and months of that. And it's not really conducive to creativity. So anything uh, that we can do to support people through that is is very much required. It's been a heavy show so far Dave. Um but I think it's it's been vital that we kind of do what we're doing right. I mean we've been we talking about we this just during, like what's going yeah, on man. <laughs> I was going to say we talked about this during the week and I was like kind of saying well you know obviously a lot of people come to No Encore for a bit of escapism but escapism is a privilege and I think the bigger privilege this week was talking to the guys and just seeing what we can do and you know I have struggled myself with thinking you know should I stay silent at the risk of seeming like I'm trying to kind of inject myself into these conversations for kudos, but I think, you know, even starting to show off with those things that seem like they're they're obvious, um, they need repeating right now, like a fucking mantra really, don't they? Because I think the things we take, take kind of most for granted are the things that just slip most easily out of our grasp. So yeah, this has been important, I think, this week for us.
2: I hope so. I feel the same way. I mean, listen, I'm, I, I feel, I found myself saying stuff like, oh, I'm not an activist or I just feel unconfident and I feel shy and awkward. And I do feel like all those things. And yeah. At the same time, what I am learning, uh, hopefully, bit by bit, I mean, I have a long way to go, but I think hopefully what I'm learning is that, like, it's important, like, it, it, it's the fact that you do feel uncomfortable is a sign that that's, that's what how you should feel, like, like yeah. that's where you should be, and listen, I, I, I don't always go on Twitter, and I'm, like, I, I see people, like, you know, posting stuff, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to retweet more stuff or whatever because I'm like, oh, well, that is important and, like, you know, I like I do... unless Listen, unless I'm sitting in front of a microphone now or I'm on Twitter and it's, like, a hot music take or, like, a snarky joke about music or I love this thing, I do find it quite difficult to just say something because, again, I feel like it might come across as artificial um, or that I'm looking for fucking clout or whatever and it, it can make me not send that out. At the same time, I mean, like, you know, like, silence isn't necessarily always a fucking violent thing either. I mean, there's a... There's so much that is like, I don't know, like, it, we're, I'm tying myself up in knots now because like I say, trying to learn, um, we'll see where we go in life, but ultimately we won't be going to Lady Gaga territory because we're not reviewing her album this week. As noted, however, next week we, the album review will return with Run The Jewels 4, which thank God came along in the middle of the week where I think it was desperately fucking needed in the world. We'll talk more about it yeah, next week, but first impressions are definitely good. Um, levity time for levity time for some levity Craig it is a chorus I assume everyone's probably just skipped to this section but I hope that you haven't please go back and listen particularly to the first hour of the show I think it's hugely important Um, it's time for the top five Craig take the microphone away from me I'm just fucking like I'm in tongues now
4: yeah so we did um, top five album openers uh, a few weeks ago now Uh, so we had to close the loop with album closers Um, there was no real um, criteria set in place. Uh, It's kind of self-explanatory. It wasn't a case really of it having to be a single track or I think we should, you know, go with our guts on it. I was myself trying to aim for stuff that somehow captured the essence of the album that went before and I actually liked the album rather than just, you know, I was coming across some songs that were like fucking absolute classics and great and i was like oh that was that happened to be the last song on that album i I thought it was kind of cheating to just pick those i feel like i had to speak something um to the actual long player that went beforehand but no real criteria you say this is kind of lighter fare but actually this was fucking agonizing as well I'm trying to oh, get it man. down to five I mean come on I know, I know <laughs> we keep
2: saying this but Jesus Christ what are we doing I mean like I know it's torture every week like it was also in a week where I was like I think it was on Wednesday I was like oh fuck I haven't really like done this properly it's going to take me forever and then all of a sudden I had like 30 things in the shore list 40 things in the shortlist, list great responses on Twitter yet again And it's like, okay, I got to go with my gut here. I've tried to, like, to make it easier on myself, I've tried to, like, disqualify albums from last year. uh, Because I'm like, okay, that's too recent. (laughs) But there might be something in there from, (laughs) you know, just one year, you know. And then I've been like, well. bode well, Dave. And I've also tried to be like, okay, um, don't just pick that one because, you know, it's expected of you to pick that one. But definitely put that one in because it's expected of you to pick that one. How could you not put that one in? I know. Yeah. Adam, our producer, who, by the way, I need to say uh, real quick, because for anyone who didn't put the connection together when uh, Max was talking earlier on, Adam yeah, produced the Tabby Rex album. He's produced the upcoming Nilo album. He makes this show work without this week alone. Are you joking? Like, come on. I mean, Incredible Adam, Shanahan, Adam Shanahan, who makes music under the name of my fault and also produces a lot of people, including us, and makes people who aren't very good at things like us and people who are like people who are great at things and even better. Uh, it needs to be said, as Max slash Daffy said earlier on in the show, dude's a fucking hero and we are so yes. lucky to have him Make here. a so, yeah, on. <laughs> I, I just want to make that know But the point is, he also needs extra Great credit dude. because I sent him, when I sent across my audio last night, my top five, I sent him eight different pieces of audio and I was like, uh, still not decided on these, man. I'll let you know tomorrow. And he was just like, can you let me know, like. As fast as you can, please.
4: <laughs> Dave, when we were talking, when we were talking yesterday and you were like, oh, I still have to figure it out. I was like, geez, Dave, just make up your mind, will you? I've like closed closed it completely. I've I've got my five. About like an hour later, like sent off an email going, Adam, can you swap out number four? Because I've just completely forgot about something. So yeah. Okay, let's kick it off. I'll go first. Smash the wall, break the bell, and crash the floor.
2: is the absolutely glorious Lover's Day. It is the closing track on Dear Science, 2008 record by TV on the radio, and in my opinion, the band's masterpiece, although you could make the argument that they've got other albums that are just as good. Um, this album is one that I kind of came to around that, you know, terrifying period of like, you know, 05, 06, 07, 08, where I was getting big into being pretentious about music, Craig, and reading on the music forums, as I said before, and I fell in love with this album so fucking hard. I fell head over heels for this. It's kind of like TV on the radio have gone on to release a few more records, and it's almost like this was a weird moment in time for the band where they're still a solid, dependable act, although they haven't made really anything for a long time. But Dear Science is a perfect album for me. I think it's a five-star record. I think it's 10 out of 10 or something very, very close to it anyway. And a Lover's Day to me is the release of a record that manages to kind of build up its it's it's got such an incredible surface it's so well like i guess tailored in how it's in how it feels and how it sounds but there's so much tension on this record and there's so much in here about life and about difficulties and struggles and interactions with human beings and lovers day comes along and it's this weird kind of it's almost like a protest song it's this it's obviously a huge love song it's it's got so much going on in it and when I thought about top five album closures and the idea of an album as a narrative having a crescendo finish and having a big ending and having a like a a fitting exclamation point full stop situation that justifies what came before and closes off the narrative, this was one of the first ones that did come to mind and in terms of like yeah. I can't not put this in. At one point it was out and I was like, no, it has to go in. Like like it, it fits the parameters even though we don't have much parameters this week. So if anyone has not heard Dear Science by TV on the radio, it's your mission to hear it now.
4: Yeah, no, a good choice. Um, It is kind of, what they do is pretentious music, but with real heart. Um, I was slightly obsessed with Family Tree for a couple of months around about that time, but overall the album's great and it is that cathartic moment that you're really kind of craving and boy does it deliver at the end. Uh, Good choice. So my first choice is um, what I think is one of the kind of defining musical moments um, of hip-hop and maybe music of like the last decade just for how it kind of ushered in one huge talent and actually had another very important figure on production so here's my number 5 enough to drive a man insane a woman insane the reason Lorraine don't sing a Kirkco bang loaded their clip and said
1: bang the drive me brains crazy product of the late 80s trying to stay above water. that's why we shun the navy put your guns and play me let's set it off cause a
3: riot throw a monotov somebody told me them pirates had got lost Cause we've been off through slave ships. Got our own pyramids, write our own hieroglyphs. Just call it shit, high power.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's Kendrick
4: Lamar with High Power taken from Section 80, his debut album. And it is an album closer that feels like a real career opener for me. It was a single. It works as a kind of complete manifesto. And I think like in various different ways, all of his music since then has been like an elaboration on these themes. Um, I know a lot of people might look to, like, to pimp a butterfly Um, in terms of grand conceptual closings. um, I've no bones about saying Mortal Man never quite worked for me, I'd never really go back to it. High Power is still my most played Kendrick Lamar track, and I say that as a fan of most of the stuff he's done since then. It's such a mood. That beat, by the way, is supplied by J. Cole, who I think is maybe part of a, you know, a rap trinity along with Kendrick and Drake in terms of defining, you know, rap stars of the decade certainly in commercial terms critically as well in the case of um kendrick and and maybe j cole um but yeah it's just it's kind of an amazing summation um as with your track dave that just totally works as a standalone as well Moral man's a really good song man (laughs) like (laughs) why do you hate it never go back to it man never go back (laughs) just the the conceit didn't i thought it was kind of clunky totally know what he was going for and the vast majority of people have like it was like a total epiphany for them so fair play but just in musical terms oh this beat just totally works it's also kind of cribbing from um kanye a bit as well which was nice it was kind of a a passing of the kind of conscious rap button there as well and it is like outlining as i say that like high power movement that he was promoting and all the kind of tde people were um you know the likes of absole um so I think it kind of works on every level, and it's a re- it is a real kind of calling card manifesto.
2: Number four for me is not necessarily the introduction of people you hadn't heard before, but certainly the formation of something that and again we'll talk more about this quite soon but may very well go down to something very special get
3: molested in a form by manipulating forces don't fret little man don't cry they can never take the energy inside you were born with knowing that understand you can never be poor you already won a war you were born rich you can only take the energy you had going back to the ground where the home of your lord is whoever whatever that lord is couldn't give a fuck if you ever made fortunes fuck anyone ever trying to run that bump shit it to the flames where the horse live Damn, lost my smarter than
1: us understand, important And we back to the truth So
2: yeah, that's LP of Run The Jewels And the song is A Christmas Fucking Miracle It's the closing track of the first Run The Jewels record And, I mean, listen, I've certainly been influenced By the Run The Jewels album dropping this week And also talk about an album that could not have dropped At a more perfect time in the world, Jesus Christ But I thought about it yeah. and I was like This is, I mean, Run The Jewels And again, the 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 album dropping this week Like not just in relation to, or maybe it's heavily informed by, it's the first time in a while that an album drop felt like, holy fuck, stop everything you're doing and put this on immediately. Like, it felt really, really powerful. And I think it's important yeah, yeah, because yeah. I thought the third Run of The Joe's album was not great. And by the time I even saw them live on the tour, I was like, eh, I'm kind of like, I think you guys are kind of losing it now a bit. But the vitality that they had on the first two records, and very much evidenced by so many tracks on there, this one, of course, being one of them there's a transportative nature to what they're doing and like on this track a christmas fucking miracle uh, i'll I'll throw to the genius write up because the genius write ups are always astonishing. Um the song is not about is about not selling out both in music and in life. LP and Killer Mike both touch on this in their verses. LP talks about the pitfalls of the urban urban jungle and a corrupt self-serving elite, but rising above it by realizing that true wealth and power is in self-awareness and positive energy. Killer Mike talks about staying true to himself and never going soft or superficial with his music or his life, always keeping it real despite the twisted forces that pervade the government and the music industry with a shout out at the end to other artists doing the same. That was 2013. Could be about 2020. Run the Jewels have this ability to kind of exist in the present. Um, Unfortunately, like a lot of the time they are referring to the failings of the time that they live in. But I mean, you want to talk about like making art out of a difficult situation. Uh, there's few better than these guys when they're on form.
4: And I think that this, yeah. like every time I hear this song, I'm just like, fuck me, man. I, like I feel like I'm somewhere else. I yeah, I was kind of concerned they were a bit of a spent force based off the last album. Um feel kind of galvanized now with their return feels right. Um obviously, but I love the fact they came together kind of, you know, later in their respective careers. They felt like, you know, they'd already mastered um their kind of craft in different realms and like bringing it all together was so explosive and kind of the wisdom that they kind of just the blazing wisdom they unleashed was something else. So if they can capture that again with the new release, we're in for a treat. Okay, my number four. And I I felt like I needed to redress the Beatles balance after ragging on Sgt. Pepper's for being one of the most overrated albums of all time a few weeks ago. Um, So I did have Tomorrow Never Knows here from Revolver. And in many ways, it's a better song than anything on this list or, you know, every other song. But I don't think we really need to hear the Beatles. So it's out. This is from 2014 instead and it's not like a Buddhist turd-eye or chattering I was just about got to tea. take a
2: break by the way so thank
4: God Yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of a, a diary entry Here's my number four He's
1: a deer hunter And she's getting used to venison And my dad's still fighting with his girlfriend About a flirting with the girls of Panera Bread My mom was good but sounded out of breath But worry so much about her I worry to
4: death
1: I worry I worry about
4: her today. I yeah, that's Sun Kill Moon. Uh Ben's my friend taken from Benji and um of course that is Mark Koslik who Dave was shouting problematic just there. I mean listen, you know, it's the art from the artist thing,
2: isn't it? I mean I don't think it totally is. Mark Kozlik hasn't been, you know, fully cancelled or anything yet, but he's uh, he's notorious. <laughs> he's getting um, there. Well he's, he's like a
4: he's a gruff curmudgeon at best. And very nasty at worst. And yeah, like I, I kind of checked out quite quickly after this album. um. But this was like, this album, Benji, um, for me is like a, a towering kind of creative achievement for the kind of warts and all stream of conscious songwriting that he has been doing kind of ever since. um. And he since got totally carried away with it. Like I haven't kept up with the 10 plus albums since then, where he will just go on quite like, you know, very masturbatory rambles about fucking masturbating and what that means existentially or like, you know, his cat dying or what he had for breakfast, you know, it just becomes so mundane and there's such a volume of content. But when he hit it, as he did on Benji, it was pretty transcendent. And, you know, it's nothing more than a kind of mini midlife crisis um, breakdown presented in like vignettes. Um so the song is Mark Kozlik having an awkward lunch with his girlfriend buying expensive lampshades catching up with his family catching a show by Ben Gibbard and like feeling unhappy that his friend um look happy for his friend but also feeling real professional jealousy at his success and ending up kind of alone wistfully in a hot tub uh, it's, it's pure raw um honesty um which is neither good nor bad and it's a great song it's got like a pace to the acoustic strum it's the sax is mournful it's kind of liberating as well i love the mundanity of it like it's catchy as hell but the refrain prior to that clip is like him just singing blue crab cakes sports bar shit it works it's totally kind of self-deprecating it's him at his best and it's one of those classic cases of like um it was the last track written for the album um and you know art is just going okay i think we need one more song like it, it, the album's about to go but i think it needs one extra track and it's always like the best song it's like the case with like don't you want me uh, by human league and dare which is another closer as well amazing closer but yeah this totally totally sums up the album caps it off night nicely and it's so evocative so great it's a terrific album.
2: He kind of went off the deep end after this. I will he say did. that before this though, he released a collaborative album with uh the album leaf. Um Jimmy yes. Laval. Jimmy Laval of the album leaf, and it's Mark Coslack and Jimmy Laval. The album's called Perils from the Sea. I think it's like twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. And there is some exceptional stuff on there. So if this kind of thing, you know, grabs you and if you've never heard that or Benji give them both a go and then yeah, don't necessarily subscribe to Mark Hosek's Twitter or anything I mean but you know baby steps baby steps uh, for me next yep. I will say that this is a nice dovetail opportunity for me uh, feeding on from my best album openers we'll have a best album closer in the form of this
4: interesting
2: choice. It's Something to Remember Me By, the closing track off the album V from 2017. Now, I mean, listen, even in that year alone, I think this was my number two track after the Blaze Territory. I know Wolf Alice and Dental Eat the Kisses was up there quite high as well. I just, this song, man, the power of it, like... Even when I was doing this and I had the cut down clip and I just kept listening to it. I mean, yeah, you, you want the big build up for when when that Faris Bodwan vocal finally comes back in for it to mean it a little bit more. But I get lost in this thing, dude. It gives me power. And I mean, in a week as well where like there's been an awful lot of reasons to feel down. I, I was listening to this last night on repeat and I was just so happy. I was just so happy that it exists. I was so happy. I was like, this is a perfect song. This is an absolutely fucking perfect masterpiece. And again, why aren't they bigger? I don't get it. They're like the great band and not enough people talk about them or listen to them. And Jesus Christ, this is the best New Order song that New Order never wrote. It's the best fucking like pop disco rock song of the last three or four years. But yeah, people don't want to know.
4: It's pure like art pop that should be at the top of the charts. Like it's, you know, it just, it's so catchy. Like it's such a kind of obvious hit. It's, I'm baffled um but yeah like you know when we were teasing this top five last week um it was kind of because i was saying i think see within a C off their album primary colors is, is going to be in there for me and yeah they are dab hands at album closers like that is kind of a an incredible moment on that record um so yeah the horrors very very good um Check out. another Check band out, lads. Yeah. Check out. <laughs> another band that are dab hands at closers um and it's on me now that they're from Minneapolis, which is such a great musical city. Um, but yeah, only a few years before this track, they were kind of very brash, knockabout punks. Uh, but this is the moment they brought in a horn section. The replacements with Can't Hardly Wait taken from Pleased to Meet Me which came out in 87 I think I'm kind of uh, evangelical about The Replacements um, I think their album Let It Be is the best album called Let It Be uh, I think their song Alex Chilton is the best rock song about rock music um, they're a band that were like their own worst enemies um, by the time this arrived they'd lost uh, guitarist Bob Stinson to uh, an alcohol problem he had he subsequently died in the 90s from it very sad story Um they were kind of polishing up on this one they're already kind of accessible songwriting shops and um please to Meet Me was maybe their last kind of push for mainstream recognition it's also like the last true Replacements album because um Paul Westerberg totally took the reins from there on for what was uh a glorious failure but this is such a great moment and yeah maybe should have been a hit it's like that looping riff is so good his strained vocal jesus is like pure desperation it gets me every time there's such great lyricist as well there's earlier there's that immortal line where you you know he talks about jesus riding beside me he never buys any smokes which is incredible um but they've such good closers um across their career here comes a regular is another one which is like a dark timeline version of the team to cheers <laughs> just incredible so i would implore everyone to check out their placements if you don't know them already
2: yeah they're a blind spot for me man i'm gonna need you to probably you know throw me in an old 10 track playlist or something uh and do dude if such thing is possible but we'll press on for now with my runner-up <laughs> What is he talking about? That's Ellery (laughs) James Roberts fronting Woo Life and their only album, Go Tell Fire to the Mountain, came out in 2011, I want to say, and... Or was it 2012? was one of those times. 2011, when, yeah. It always makes me think of Hot Press, man. And like art director Dave Keene just blaring it on a summer day and the sun fucking bursting through the windows. It makes me think about that Whelan's gig that I had tickets to and didn't go to. It makes me think about them sub- subsequently breaking up. It makes me think about David Letterman ripping the pitch Thank out of the you, on his Is that your regular drummer? <laughs> Is that your regular drummer? Okay, well, thanks, yeah. Um, look up that performance. Um, oh, so evocative, good. evocative in every kind of way, a song that I have been obsessed with since I first heard it, an album that I adore. Woo Life, where it's funny because you, you talk about TV on the radio and you're like pretentious music, but good music. I mean, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the Woo Life Q interview that was about six pages long? And like this, I, do. Can, I feel like you're, you're probably better placed than I am somehow, but to, can you give like a bit of a, a bit of a potted history for the listener on who Woo Life were? Because this was, maybe it was like, too ahead of its time in this level of it was sheer so pretentious. pretentious. <laughs>
4: like yeah, they they were kind of they were more than a band. You know, I was talking about Kendrick and his high power movement, which I think actually has a proper ethos behind it. But Woo Life were just like they painted themselves as this like um gang of like almost scavenger children, just like making art in warehouses and like being very political and you know changing London for the better. Um, it was the kind of stuff that like made Nicky Wire. Uh, Himself, a great but you know, probably self-admitting pretentious dude, be like, "Well, this is going to change music. This is what I've been waiting for." So that's the kind of territory you're in.
2: I've also just realized in my haste, I forgot to name the song. The song, of course, is called "Heavy Pop." Heavy Pop is the name of the song. We life got so fire to the mountain. I don't know, man. Like, there's just, I think, I I think it's a great legacy. I think it's an amazing record. It sounds, it's, but it sounds like a, a communion thing coming from another fucking world. And um, there's just, it like, this is my favourite thing about music. And it's true of my number one when it's coming up. It was true of the last song. There's a collection, and I, it's probably true of everybody, you know, every, everybody's life. You know, there's a certain type of song that you just can't find the words for. And listen, as a fucking guy who writes about music, it drives me crazy. And it's driving me crazy right now that I can't just find the perfect sentence. But maybe that's the point. It's what you feel, the physicality of it. There's a genuine, genuine thing here where it just taps into me. And, and, and in the way that few other songs do and I'm grateful that it's out there it's a fucking unbelievable song it's just oh, it's magic dude it's magic
4: well tapping into Craig at number two this is um the opening track to this album just missed that top five for me Um, with its incredible line of teenage angst has paid off well now I'm bored and old the closer has made it
2: Just going to have to uh, step in here, Craig, and
4: uh, yeah. intervene, <laughs> <Canceled. I think>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a couple of Replacements fans there, actually. And apparently one Trump fan. Jesus. Um, Nirvana, all apologies off in utero the power of which completely remains undiminished for me. Um, it arrives at the end of a pretty bruising album, um, which kind of like oscillates wildly between alt rock anthems and... Um, Really impressive, like, noise workouts and quite doomed singer-songwriter ballads. This is a soothing bam. It's, like, extraordinarily pretty and beautiful, but it's also, like, clearly expressing, like, a resignation that would prove terminal. Um, It's just so haunted. It feels like kind of verging on the kind of sacred or religious for me. I remember, like, getting really into this when I was 12, 13, and it haunted me then, still haunts me now. That spidery kind of delicate guitar um, musically it's got it's in a really interesting mode Um Lodeon, which is just kind of basically it's not quite happy it's not quite sad it has this ambiguous beauty to it and um, it caps an incredible incredible album
2: yeah, it's weird. I mean, Nirvana are always this weird thing for me where like, again, like, kind of like a Radiohead situation where I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's really good and all, but I didn't quite have the religious experience with it. But at the same time, there are times when you throw it on, you're like, okay, yeah, Jesus Christ, maybe I get it now a little bit more. But I, I, I don't think I can tap into any further, Craig, considering what we talked about in the news section. So it's a terrible <laughs> shame. It's a great choice, but I'm just going to have to just swiftly move on here to my number one. Easy listening there, courtesy of Converge, Jane Doe, and the best album ever made. <laughs> so, uh, what is 2000- that?
4: Crunk core? Is it?
2: <laughs> it's <crabcore. laughs> Uh No, in fact, it's a uh, metalcore, and this okay. is the album. The title track, Jane Doe, from the album Jane Doe, two thousand and one. Um, listen, I mean. How could I not pick this? I have the fucking album artwork tattooed on my body, like, come on. Um, I've talked before, this, this, by the way, is an 11 and a half minute song, so it's quite difficult to get it down to about 30 seconds. That's coming into the closing part. A closing part that I have always said could soundtrack the end of the world itself. I really hope we're not at that stage actually in real life, but if we are, I mean, this is probably what I'm going to listen to going out. Um, once again, I find myself slightly overwhelmed by what is in front of me and what is going into my brain, my body, my soul. There's just something about Converge. There's something about Jacob Bannon's uh, vocal style. I mean, you're talking about indecipherable lyrics. Here they are. Writing, like reading his writing, reading his lyrics is like poetry. And I'm someone who's always struggled with the idea of poetry. But there's just something here that just connects and unlocks me in every way. Uh, Jane Doe arrives at the end of an album that is absolutely fucking devastating and it pushes forward so hard there's songs here that last for fucking 42 seconds and the songs that last for quite a lot more it feels like the ultimate in catharsis it feels like some kind of reckoning some kind of realization and again one that just kind of moves beyond the idea of people going into a studio with instruments and recording music together it just feels like it's transcendent Um, and I've been hooked on it ever since I heard it Um, it's yeah if it's not for everyone of course there's even bands of this style that I don't tend to gravitate towards I don't know what it is about Converge I think they're special and I think that this song Jane Doe it's my favourite song it's my favourite song by anybody and I just it's amazing
4: I'm not going to fight you on that one Um, as for my choice I tried to fight it um, but how could I to quote you Dave how could I not pick this
1: what does Webster say about soul all I want is a good home and a wife and our children and some food to feed them every night. After all is said and done, build a new route to China if they'll have you. Who will survive in America? 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 So it would
4: seem like a solid 60% of my top five is cancelled, Dave. <laughs> that was Kanye West um, with Who Was Five in America from my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Um wasn't actually quite Kanye West. It was uh, Jill Scott Heron, um, a kind of sample of comment number one. Um, and a bit of a bleak but somehow empowering end to uh, an incredible album uh, coupled with Lost in the World. I kept coming back to this this week and I was like trying to fight it. As I said, it's not just one track. It's like a culmination of a couple, a culmination of a really ambitious, exquisite masterpiece. What can you call um, him doing perfect music, which I concur with. Uh, It's right up there with like Abbey Road, the Abbey Road Suite, Uh, the side two of that record in terms of prolonged endings that culminate to something that are just above and beyond um and yeah of course this past week uh it really resonates we don't hear much from kanye at the moment which might be a good thing i don't know i don't know what he's got to say about the current moment um but you can always go back to this um and i was actually thinking of heron as well this past week with the whole like spacex um dragon arriving at the international space station and all those tweets of people being like um to the astronauts that decided like this was a good week to leave the earth fair play I was thinking of his track, Whitey on the Moon, from like 1970, where he was talking about like, you know, can't pay doctor's bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll still be paying, but like Whitey's on the moon. And it's like, oh shit, um, we're really blessed to have that kind of wisdom that we can go back to, but also it's a curse because it's still, those words are still relevant decades on. Uh, yeah, so that's my number one.
2: All right. Yeah, no, well said. I mean, like, ultimately, uh, I should say that, you know, rather than just dive into another listening exit, I think, you know, this has been obviously a heavy enough episode uh, because it needed to be. I'm glad we did it. And also, I think in terms of whatever is going on around you, there's so much music out in the world that, as we said at the top of the program, that comes from black creators, culture, community, listen to Rage Against the Machine, listen to horror, listen to Frank Ocean, listen to Nina Simone, listen to Sam Cooke, like listen to pop, listen to punk, listen to hip hop, listen to metal, listen to everything that you have in front of you and appreciate where it came from and, you know, be grateful that you have it. I, you know, like it's, it's a strange thing. To be sitting here just talking to microphone it's a strange thing every week when we do the show uh you know through these fucking digital windows that we have in front of each other but i'm incredibly lucky to do it we all are and it's it's been a, it's been a really really formative week in everyone's life i think and i hope that we've all learned from it so uh next week on the show we'll review run the jewels we will have another top five and hopefully we'll have a bit more a bit more laughs you know i don't know we'll
4: press on yeah I don't know man. <laughs>
2: we'll see what happens in the <laughs> world. Uh Craig Cuspatrick, Adam Shanahan, thank you very very much and yeah, thank listener. Thanks everyone for listening this week and you know, stay safe, stay stay good. Saltizm.
5: This podcast is part of the HeadStuff Podcast Network.